The Muppets tackle Dick in Star Trek The Next Generation comes to a close, and Peter Jackson heads back to Middle Earth this week on Welcome, everyone, to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a little journey 30, 20, and 10 years ago to the best of anniversaries of movies, TV, music, video games, and so very much more. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm one, two, three, and two, the four. Diana Goodman is at the dope. Oh! And I'm Charles Dickens. <laughs> I understood that <laughs> reference. Uh, man, it's going to be a... I mean, I... I, I applaud... Everyone for avoiding the easiest joke that we could make because we have a very famous quote in a movie that is used in every ad. It's always parodied. It's brought up a million times. You can't handle that reference. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> I think I'm entitled. Uh, no one ever uses that one. I like that follow-up. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's a really cool week for movies this week um, and some really notable television to go through as well. Some stuff that might surprise you. Thank you, folks, for listening. And once again, thanks to our, all of our patrons at patreon.com slash time. We are recording a new show for you this week. Are we not, JR? We uh, are. Yes. Just About <laughs> another Henson production. This one from 1982. Ah, yes. Cannot wait. Love that film. Um, yes, we'll get into Henson in just it a little has bit. It its ups and downs. I, I have a lot to say, good and bad, about it. I mean, I think that's what makes it wonderful. But uh, we'll get into that on another show. Uh, thanks to our patrons again. Blah, 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 blah. Let's go back 30 and 20, 10 years ago. In the week of December 9th through the 15th, uh, we'll be talking about the years 1992, 2002, and 2012. There's a lot of great stuff to mention. Uh, so let's just get started, as we always do in 1992, because there's a bunch of news to rattle off. Cincinnati Red Zoner Marge Schott apologizes for racist remarks. Oh, boy. So she was a character. Uh, this <laughs> lady uh, became probably the most famous baseball owner in history. By probably. being racist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was the first woman owner. Uh, she really tried hard to keep prices low. Uh, she sat in the fans in the stadiums next to her fans. And... She was hated by everyone. Uh, she was incredibly cheap. Uh, after her team won the World Series, she refused to pay for a victory party because they had robbed her of profits by not winning a later game, by winning the series too soon. She uh, hired private eyes to make sure her players weren't uh, philandering around. She went through seven managers every one of which hated her guts. It's uh, like Major League come to life. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we have a little clip of her apology. <laughs> I saw a quote where you said Hitler was good for Germany. You don't believe that? No, I think at the beginning, we're talking about history, mm -hmm. not about what I say, but I know at the beginning, everything you read, when he came in, he was good. They built tremendous highways. Everybody in history knows that he did was good at the beginning but he just went too far why why do thing changes ever <laughs> why oh choose to God. why choose to highlight that i just don't understand <laughs> i don't understand 
Hitler are... you literally said the same thing about the fucking Autobahn like a week ago. <sighs> In the microphone. Oh my goodness. Oh uh, my There goes Marge's God. Adidas deal. Uh Jesus Christ, that is so strange. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> when our, our show teeters into the present. I really do. I oh, really do. God damn it. And also, uh. also this week, the U.S. President George H.W. Bush awards actress and humanitarian Audrey Hepburn the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And I think that's I, close, H.W. She dies inauguration day. Really? She knows wow. she knew she was dying at this point. She had it was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer uh in her like intestinal lining. Mm. Uh and she she had surgery and she was undergoing chemo at this time. So this is really overdue though. Audrey Hepburn did some amazing shit for UNICEF like most of her life because they saved her life during World War II, she said. Yeah, she was actually and uh, yeah, was basically starving to death as a kid. It's it's really weird. The Dutch famine is a unique famine in history because it's like the only time we have a first world population undergoing actual starvation. So there's tons of doctors around who know exactly what to do. Uh, but Nazis are just taking all the food for themselves. And so there's just no food around. So we have like, well, we have great records of what to do in a starvation situation when there's no food. Great. Yeah. Audrey Hepburn was a fucking badass. Yeah, I think she put on she put on little ballet performances to raise money for the underground and like as a teenager. She was rad. This is probably a bad time to mention Johnny Carson got it too. Not for his humanitarian work, but I would have ordered to Audrey Hepburn just for being on the wall of thirty percent of the women I've dated for some reason. That was a popular (laughs) poster. Uh and then also this week, Japanese Crown Prince. Naruhito announces engagement to Masaka Owada. Yeah, she was a commoner. Uh, She went to both Oxford and Harvard. So, you know, really high-performing woman. Uh, She gave up a promising career in the diplomatic corps to join the royal family. There was surprisingly little controversy over this. You know, there was some, but the Japanese uh, by 1992 were like, okay, I guess you can marry a commoner without... There was nothing close to, like, the abdication crisis of uh, the 30s in England. Uh, yeah, Hallmark will make an uh, entire but, genre about this and set it at Christmas. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but, no, uh, that's cool. I think that she was like, I don't know if I want to marry this literal prince because I like my job so much. Yeah. Sister! <laughs> That's who should be in charge. And yeah, she's empress now. So, yay. Yep. And uh, she went on to have a few mental health issues and kind of took a uh, back seat to her royal duties for a while. The Japanese culture still doesn't handle mental health that great, but she seems to have recovered. And another royal news Charles and Diana well, announced in, their in separation. Perfect contrast, mm. speaking of mental health issues and being married to the crown prince. And Charles and Diana announced their separation this week. Um, yes, uh, that is something I can't even pretend to care about. I uh, didn't care at the time, don't care now. There hadn't been a lot of royal divorces. Sure. Um, there had been a couple. I think his sister had just gotten divorced and promptly remarried without royal approval because the the queen is the head of the, the church doesn't like divorce, which is funny because that's what it was founded on. But yeah, the idea that, oh, the future king could be a divorcee. Oh, no. My How word. How will we survive? We're fine. 
We're fine. He's king now and we're fine. No one cares. You want a happy king or you want an angry king? I don't know. I'm going to hear from Queen Elizabeth about this. Provided she adheres to this standard, Diana, Princess of Wales, shall enjoy exclusive use of the couple's timeshare condominium in Barbados for eight weeks a year. I guess that's just Mike Myers. It's Mike Myers, ladies and gentlemen, from <laughs> SNL. Uh, reflecting the He news. goes on to say that if she opposes nude in Playboy, she will only get it three weeks a year. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Sad we never got yeah. to see it. Yeah, we're at the, the end of... Uh, yeah, the queen called her Ennis Horribilis because her house partially burned down, her three married kids all got divorces, and no one's happy. Everyone hates you, Mom. That's going to be an awesome season. Of the crown. <laughs> oh, we're already there, baby. Oh, we're, we are. We're already okay. there. Yeah, it, it is so weird just watching this last season of the crown and being like, we talked about that six weeks ago. Mm. Hey, we just talked about the. Yeah. Now here's the extra fun thing that we're gonna get to that the, the crown covered very nicely. So Charles was recorded on a phone saying some naughty, naughty things, and the media had these recordings and held on to them so as not to embarrass him or ruin the royal marriage. Once it announces they are going to divorce, that tape comes out. So we will talk about where Charles would like to be right now. Oh, somewhere in the knickers. Oh. Uh, okay. Yep. Oh, if he could just be then, he could just live there all the time. Yuck. All right. All right. Enough news and royalty horseshits. Let's get into the goddamn movies. Uh, yeah, first yeah. up, Angela Bassett, Nora Dunn, uh, Leo Burmester, uh, David Stratham, Vondi Curtis Hull, Alfred Woodard, and Mary McDonald in Passion Fish. Jesus, the, ah. one of the least appealing titles I've ever seen in my entire life. It's not a great title, but it's a John Sayles joint, so yes. you know I'm showing up. Yes. Because John Sayles knows Wonderful. what he's doing. He writes these like personal films that don't feel like boring or cheesy or, I don't know, schmaltzy or whatever so it's about uh, mary mcdonald plays an actress who becomes paralyzed using a wheelchair and she hates that and she hates everyone she hates her life and she starts tormenting every nurse that comes to help her until alfrey woodard shows up who's like fuck you too man mm. and then they start like bonding and forming a friendship and uh, yeah it's it's wonderful it's one of those tiny indie movies you haven't heard of and then you watch it somehow and you're like well fuck why isn't anyone talking about this yeah. One of the rare movies we we are, we ever talk about with 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. True. Uh, gets nominated for two Oscars, and I think I saw it streaming on the Criterion channel, so... Nice. You know yeah, it's worthwhile. It, I I pretty much endorse every John Sayles movie, but this one... Th this is top three for me, for him, of just like, wow, that was what sounds like a dumb premise. I really cared about that. I loved it. Me too, and uh, here's a... Uh, let's, Let's get to the heavy hitters. Yeah, the film I was there day one and have a complicated relationship with. Oh, look at this cast. Some of my favorite favorite people in entertainment. Frank Oz, Jerry Nelson, Steve Whitmer, Dave Goals, David Shaw Parker, Jessica Fox, Robin Weaver, Meredith Braun, Steve McIntosh, and my cocaine, Michael Caine. It's a Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. I have to point out, the ads for this literally list the cast as Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, and Michael Caine. Yes. <laughs> well, that's how it's in the movie, too, the opening credits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the greediest man who ever lived. Ebenezer Scrooge. Until the night he met someone extraordinary. 
Hello. Walt Disney Pictures presents from Jim Henson Productions, the family movie event of the year. Like the lamb, not the rat. Join Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, and Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge. It's the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's creepy and kind of rated G. Woo, Muppet Christmas Carol, the first film, uh, Muppet film, to be made after the death of Jim Henson. And in a rare move, the dedication to him in both uh, co-collaborator Scooter, Jerry Jewell. Uh, no, is it Jerry Jewell? No, it's Richard Hunt. Richard Hunt that's dedicated their memory right off the top. Uh, in a beautiful title sequence, I love those miniatures. Ugh, I wish I, I, wish I loved this movie more. But uh, really, I am shocked wow. at that because I do love this movie. In fact, I'm going to start out guns a blazing. This is my favorite version of a Christmas Carol. You know, Ooh. I I, I loved how I love how succinct Mickey's Christmas Carol is, and I don't know. It's like 22 minutes. I know because I don't think it needs 20. I don't think it needs that long to tell this story. But it's also, but it's I. I think you say that because you've heard this story so yes. many times. Yes. It's a complex story. I ran a, a, I ran a Christmas blog for a long time, and I've seen so many adaptations of this. It kind of makes me sick. And and mm. Scrooge is Scrooge is one of those antidotes to you know the Christmas Carol blues, a great still modern adaptation of that tale. But there is something pretty beautiful about this movie. Like just it's classical in all sense. The Muppets are always. The Muppets are always retro, even when they were making movies in the 70s and 80s. But this is, there's something really classic about this. It's, I will not deny anybody loving it. It's just, I'm not a huge, you know, those tweets going around like, uh, this movie should be remade with everybody but the lead as Muppets. And like, yeah, no, like, I, <laughs> no, I always prefer the Muppets being themselves. And, be, be, oh, see, I oh, must have come I at the disagree. Muppets at a different generation because to me, the Muppets are the best when they're playing other people. No, I love no, the Muppet Christmas Carol. I think it's perfect that the Muppets are actors. And if you watch any of the behind the scenes things, there's like some hilarious bits where Miss oh, yeah. Piggy is complaining about how small her part is in this film. <laughs> yes. In character. Yeah. See, I, I like both. I like when there's movies where they are just being the Muppets. And I like... I think my favorite is probably um, Great Muppet Caper because I love that it so opens good. with them saying, we are actors and we're going to do a movie for you. Yes. They have a whole number yeah. about how this is a movie. And I, yeah, I love that they do that here too. Of Just like, okay, doing a show for you. You know, we got to squeeze in Fozzie and we got to squeeze in. Well, don't worry. They're coming. They're coming. Yeah. I, I do wonder if uh, the idea for the Muppet Christmas Carol uh, came when they went Fozzie fuzzy wig boom we got this um, uh, it, it it came about because uh the muppets had been struggling to get any movies off the ground at this point and uh, this was supposed to be a tv film and got bumped up Ooh. by i the disney circling the muppets like sharks uh wanting to be a, a part of this and i think they they distributed it but it's it's a it's a really fun, you're right, it is a really fun adaptation of A Christmas Carol, I have to say that. And, and part of that is, well, it, that's, it's my major complaint about it, but I don't hate the movie, is that this is a Michael Caine movie, but man, Michael Caine is just, doesn't give a shit that there's Muppets around or kids watching, he yeah. plays no, this heartlessly. He brings it. His exact quote, this is his word for word quote, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Boom. That yeah. was his attitude. Yeah, he, he said it's one of his, with... his favorite performances. 
and and yeah, it, yeah. It, it's it's perfect yeah he there's never a wink there's never a little grin there's it's full commitment whether he's talking to a bunch of rats or god or just and i i was shocked going back and rewatching this of like how it really does go back to the book yeah and it's mm -hmm. just an adaptation of other adaptations because that's kind of what we get i mean to have you know the the ghost of uh christmas past is like that giant figure who keeps and get to know me better man and it's like that's the ghost of christmas present but you're absolutely mm. right they yeah. they nail every single ghost um <laughs> all the ghosts that's are the ghost good. of the christmas past was filmed in water underwater so they put the Ooh. muppet in water mm -hmm. filmed that removed the water boom it looks perfect it looks amazing it's like no other muppet you've ever seen yeah it's super well it's super creepy with a humanish face i always hate it when they do that too. but just in a good way like it's always really creepy and i think yeah. it was a it was a smart decision to not cast the muppets as the ghosts because they did want kind they got to feel like ghosts and they can't be cracking wise and i mean that's that's part of the appeal of michael kane there's like a few moments where he deviates from the dickens text but but he doesn't really have any comedic moments here like he just he sets up stuff and reads almost directly from dickens not unlike our narrator gonzo along with Rizzo. Which is perfect. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that they have Gonzo as Charles Dixon's. Mm -hmm. To me, that actually makes it one of the best adaptations of the book because we get all this narration from him yep. that we miss out on uh, other adaptations. And they capture Victorian England perfectly. Yeah, uh, it's great set. I just have nothing but love for this from the get-go. Um, I have a complaint. Give it to Diane. I I think the songs are weak. There you go. And yet there's and yet there's also not enough of them. Like it kind of just forgets it's a musical for huge chunks of time. I kind of would have preferred if it had like an opening number and a closing number and just left it at that. Kinda, yeah. Uh, uh, kinda, but I love Marley and Marley. To me, that's just a banger of a song. Yes. And are we gonna touch on the when love is gone controversy? We will, but it's it's important Ooh. to say that this is Paul Williams coming back to write the music who wrote the music for not only the wonderful Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, but uh, the original Muppet movie. And he hadn't written music for the, for the Muppets since and came back to do it here. And yeah, that's, that's the biggest bummer about this. I remember reading, um, well, one, they cut a musical number from the theatrical viewing and on home video and the first full screen DVD, they reinserted that number back into the movie. So many people's memories contain this song and subsequent releases on widescreen DVD, Blu-ray and Disney plus omit this. So people feels like their memories are being fucked with and Disney plus is like, <laughs> we're going to reinsert it. And I was like, well, where is it? The 11th, by the time you're hearing this, it will be reinserted on Disney plus in a, the four, the only 4K version, I believe, of A Muppet Christmas Carol. See, I watched it on Disney Plus with my son, which mm -hmm. I actually had to spend a fair amount of dad points. Uh, my kids do not make them like the Muppets at all. That's uh, just sure. what they're saying. And I was like, okay, to my son, if you watch this, this will be the last time I will ever ask you to watch any Muppet thing ever. Because I was thinking if he doesn't like the Muppet Christmas Carol, that's fine. It's not for him. But I want to have him give this one last shot. And he actually liked it. Mm -hmm. Unlike yeah. every other Muppet thing he's ever seen, he liked it. So go this film. 
Um, <laughs> it's got a lot going for it. I mean, this is the first time that Gonzo and Rizzo teamed up, and that's mm-hmm. a perfect oh, combination. It just yeah. works. It, too bad it'll probably never happen again because of Steve Whitmer's falling out with the Muppets. But uh, no. let's not get into that right now. But um, yeah, it's it's his first performance theatrically as his biggest performance as Kermit. It's the first time Kermit in a movie sounds different, but it's way closer to Jim Henson's <laughs> voice than the new guy. So I'll give it that. But I, I thought Kermit was one of the best representations of optimism mm-hmm. under crushing poverty that is the core of the Bob Cratchit character. It, it's I, true. I, he handles it more than any other adaptation I've seen. And to be critical of myself, like how many more Muppet movies do we need where Kermit gets the band back together to put on a show? Like it's they, they yeah. should do other things. And I, and I, I do like, I appreciate all of this. It's just my second least favorite Muppet movie because I love the goddamn Muppet movies. Uh, I love mm-hmm. them all. And I do which love, is, I do love which this one. is your least favorite? Uh, Treasure Island. All right. We agree on that. Yeah. I think that sucks. And, and I don't think it sucks. It's just, it's more of this, which I, I prefer the Muppets being Muppets. And I love Muppets in space and the two Disney ones before they gave up on the property and hopefully come to the realization to sell it back to the Henson company. I'm putting that out there once again, please Disney, you don't have anything for these characters to do other than commercials. Sell them to the Henson Company. Disney doesn't list. sell things. They they don't. I know. They don't. They don't get rid. Of I know. Stuff. I know. They, they buy things like Baby Einstein and just wait till they die. But yeah, mm. I wish they. Wow, a hundred and thirty-five film versions of the Christmas Carol. True. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because yeah. uh, and then uh, add in every TV special. Yeah, like every and... TV special. Every TV episode that's just a version. Well, it's an easy write. I mean, Mm -hmm. we could do a laser time episode where the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future visits. That's trivially easy. You write it on a napkin and you're done. Yes. But I I, I do revisit this every Christmas. I have an ornament based on the movie. I I do love it so. I just, uh, like, I feel like I get in an argument with people who would say this is their favorite movie but i can't get an argument over it it's fucking beautiful and it's uh worth recommending especially if you haven't seen it especially if you haven't seen the 4k version of disney plus i believe the 11th of december it'll be available in 4k with the restored song which by the way is terrible (laughs) is features no muppets and is boring there's something about like not fun songs the muppets doing not fun songs i'm referring to the muppet family christmas which is the only time the muppets the Fraggles and the Sesame Street characters get together and all they do is sing sappy songs at the camera and it just, God damn it, do something Muppety for fuck's sake. Speaking of the most un-Muppet thing, can we play the saddest moment in all of Muppet history? Sure. That was the churchyard. It'll be lovely, Emily. It would have done you good to see how green the place is. I, I picked a spot for Tim where he can see... It's, it's a spot on the hill. And you can see the ducks on the river. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim always loved watching the ducks on the river. <laughs> I tear up a little. Oh. I do. That is, oosh. That is literally the saddest thing in any Muppet work ever. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Pro- it's up there, especially because, man, I love uh, Jerry Nelson so goddamn much. He might be one of my favorite Muppeteers. He's a gobo, he's Emmett Otter, he rules. And he's dead too, and then I get sad again. 
Ugh. But yeah, I, this is yep. well worth recommending. And I, I, I remember watching this in the theater and like, this isn't very funny, but it actually like, it is pretty fucking like funny in a, a subtle way. And like Gonzo and Rizzo's stuff is like really smart. It's very well written and I got to give them credit for that. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is my biggest this... recommend of the week. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is a big recommend for me, but it's one that's like, we don't even have to recommend. It's like most people who love it already love it. And, but if you haven't given it a chance, sure. like, cause you think it's for dumb little kids, like, no, it's pretty charming. One thing I like to do this time around, watch every shot and ask yourself how they're doing it. Yes. Because the Muppets are basically a special effect. Yes. They are special effects. Like most of the time there's okay. There's a guy under the camera and he's walking along with the puppet, but like, how did Rizzo slide down that thing? And it's, I, don't know. I think it, it also Fires. marks the beginning of, I was saying that the person I was watching with, the shame regarding the Muppet sticks, because mm -hmm. eventually they start CGing those out, but they, the camera kind of cuts around those, and they try not to get them in any shots, I think, to preserve the realism of the special effect, and, and like Great Muppet Caper, they build a giant set that is built for Muppets, like, like Disney World is the... First story you don't see, and there's just a bunch of beardos under there. Uh, it's it's to cater to the puppets, and it's really really cool. And they don't really do that in many of the other films, like just build an entire street. And the sets are amazing, like all those miniatures, like nothing beats that. That opening is amazing. Anywho, that might not be the movie you were seeing, especially if you are an Academy member or a film critic, because there's uh, this star-studded cast uh, to contend oh, with damn. that makes eight. It's just so weird to see something like this make a ton of money. Uh, Christopher Guest, J.T. Walsh, James Marshall, Wolfgang Bodison, Kevin Pollock, Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, Demi Moore, Jack Nicholson, and Tom Cruise, number one at the box office this week, A Few Good Men. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. The accuser charged with murder. It was what they were ordered to do. They tortured and tormented a weaker kid. We're going to court. No, you're not. Why not? Because you'll lose. Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore in a Rob Reiner film. Let's put Jessup on the stand and end this thing. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. A few good Woo! men. Rated R. He said it. Everybody drink. A uh, few good men <laughs> are... are uh, the the television and film world's introduction to Aaron Sorkin, I believe. Like, yep, he's some schmuck who wrote like two plays, and mm -hmm. this is one of them. Mm -hmm. And Castle Rock Entertainment bought it, and Reiner paired him up with William Goldman, who he just kind of had on staff, mm -hmm. I guess. And I had never thought of those two writers together, and now I realize actually that makes a ton of sense. Um, Sorkin is pretty Goldman-y, and a little bit vice versa. Goldman wrote uh, Butch Cassidy, The Sundance Kid, and also The Princess, Princess Bride. Bride. Yeah. And uh, God, but everything damn, this Sorkin Reiner is known for. Yeah, Reiner's on such Every... a roll. Oh. but anyway, everything Sorkin is known for is on full display in this film. It's... I mean, you can absolutely see that it's... was who he is from yep. the very beginning, and that is who he is today. Yeah, it's in its infancy. He hasn't fully let loose, but yeah, there's still like the ridiculously dry humor and uh, sarcasm, and yeah. Pop culture stuff references would, and stuff stuff that would ramp up ridiculously by the time we got to West Wing, yeah. And the dialogue is the star, and you know, I gotta, I gotta, admit, I, I've, you know, I've always really liked this movie, and I've watched it a ton of times. I watched, I think it's streaming on Tubi. Uh, you know, it it's it's weird, it, like when you know the ending and where it's all leading up to. Now, it really is just this actory showcase that I was 
not to- necessarily bored by. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know. It was like... Well, like, I wonder if you've seen it too many times. I, that I might don't be necessarily think this is a film you should rewatch that many times. Yeah. I, I watched it for the first time, and of course I got the references because I'm not uh, deaf and blind. Uh, it was referenced everywhere, every place, every genre, anytime, anywhere. People were saying, you can't handle the truth. So I had some idea of where it was going, I knew it was going to get to that scene eventually, but I actually didn't know it was like, oh, that's the very end of the movie. You are literally spoiling the end of the movie a little by giving that. Yeah, you pretty much are. Oh, there were a couple ads that full on spoiled the end of the movie because they have Nicholson lunging at Tom Cruise. (laughs) But they they cut the dialogue so you can't hear him yell, I'll rip out your eyes and piss in your dead skull. You fuck with the wrong Marine. That's that's the (laughs) thing I I don't entirely get because it's like whatever that perry mason moment is to catch him in a lie yep. doesn't really That's exist what shocked me. this the ending to this great drama to this amazing film is the ending to every episode of matlock it's a lawyer <laughs> getting a man to confess on the stand in front of a judge when he has no reason to confess yeah and any smart smart person would know that a confession is going to get him in trouble and if he doesn't confess, he'll be fine. But no, gosh, that lawyer is just so smart. He got the guy to yeah. confess. Well, I, I, I had I like, a. They set that up, though. I mean, it's like their whole thing is like we have like because half of this is an investigation, and then the back half, almost a full hour, is the court case. And they basically say like we don't really have a case, but we're pretty sure that Nicholson ordered this oh, like red. series of events, and that he's proud of it. He just can't admit it because he'll get in trouble. So if we just pester him <laughs> over and over and over, sooner yeah, or later, that. he's going to say that he did it because he's proud of it. I, I, I feel like maybe you could have telegraphed that ending a little more by like digging into his personality a bit. But I am always shocked when I watch this how little Jack Nicholson is in it, despite how much he's oh, yeah. in the promotional materials. I think they said they gave him $5 million for 10 days of production on this. Uh, yeah, huge payday, uh, for, but well worth it because he's great in it. I just something in his personality where like uh, he can't lie or yeah, that he'd do it again if he had the chance. Uh, exactly. He'd, he'd do it, it again. I mean, and we haven't even explained so much what it's about. It's about uh, two Marines uh, at Guantanamo Bay. Basically, he's uh, another guy and he dies. This is. Uh, and then they go on trial and it turns out like, oh, why are they giving this trial to Tom Cruise? Because he never puts out any effort. He just gets the best deal he can and never goes to trial because if it goes to trial, bad things might come out mm-hmm. like that. They were ordered to do this. And so a bunch of people are guilty of murder. This turns out is based on a real trial involved 10 guys and the hazing victim didn't die. But some of them were represented by Aaron Sorkin's sister. Right. Who was in the Judge Advocate Corps. So that's how he heard about this. And then he wrote a play around this idea. I remember watching this with my Sisters. parents. And, and Yay! My, my dad, I, having that, like, why don't the military people just write it? What the fuck? And he's like, it's just the military, man. You got, <laughs> they have a code. And uh, you kind of, I don't know, I don't know. It feels, something about it now feels a little old timey. But, like, it's totally it worth it. It's totally yeah. worth a watch. It's a, uh, is it safe to call it a legal? It's a legal drama. Yeah, 100%. Oh, it's, totally, yeah. it's totally a legal drama. It just happens to take place in the military. 
which is why everyone is not ratting each other out like they should yeah. always rat out everybody so this is also i feel the start of tom cruise moving fully away from being boyish and he's still trying to pass himself off as young adulthood i'm a lawyer but i'm i'm fresh out of law school guys <laughs> but yeah. uh th that's going to be a role that's going to be young adult but not really that young of an adult anymore tom cruise is going to be a character he's going to play for like the next 20 years yeah yeah no he needed this one i mean we've talked about where his career was going like he, he tries for oscar respectability with far and away which no one really cares for mm -hmm. uh before that it was like days of thunder and sh and it was just like okay so this guy just makes like stupid movies huh yeah, he oh makes... wait he's gonna stab at respectability no that was stupid and so like he he knows he needs this to work out and it he plays it really well he play, you know he does a tom cruise thing that but he has to turn towards the middle of like yeah i'm just a cocky asshole who takes the path of least, re least resistance i don't actually care i care now mm -hmm. yeah you made me care yeah it, it's uh it it fell it fell a little bit in my eyes on this viewing but like it's i i can't not call it a great film i've watched it so many times uh, and watch yeah, it, it, it holds up, man. That's why I rewatched it thinking, eh, I don't know. Oh, and it made it, it's like, no, actually, that's pretty well done. And, and 30 years out, it is, it, it's still kind of astounding how, how much this movie made. Like, go $250 million domestically for a legal drama. Yeah. I mean, back in 1992, you could have blockbusters, mm -hmm. like literal blockbusters, where you got a line out the door for something that doesn't feature magic or yeah. space aliens or superheroes that yeah. was a thing too. yeah and you know why this is an r they say the f word twice yeah that's, that's the thing i was it. looking for yeah that's it There's you no know i bet they did that deliberately. No... yeah you think so? so you think that there would be more yeah. violence or something no no so that you think this is an adult movie for adults mm. Mm. i i remember yeah. being liking it when i was a kid so like i i i thought it was it crossed over pretty well uh, but yeah, a few good men, a uh, good recommend. Maybe not as mm -hmm. much as Muppet Christmas Carol. Who knows? Yep. But a few good men is also what we call my family reunions. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been calling it a few good men around the house for all week. <laughs> Take one keeps telling me to stop it. I'm like, no, I'm going to watch a few good men. And uh, <laughs> moving into television of December 9th through the, what is it, the 15th? Uh, I, this week it was... Just in the bit of television news, it's announced that Cheers will not return for a 12th season despite very high ratings due to cost $2.5 million an episode based Oof. of 1992 money, based entirely... So $5 million an episode. Yeah. yeah. And zero special effects. Yes. I mean, this is not a CW show that needs a computer graphics team on it. It's set the set an, is already built. Did, it is did you know, they, no, Norm is computer generated. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It's, it yeah. is small for a bar, that set. Yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. it, it's, it's pretty astounding, and obviously not to tie it in. R.I.P. Kirstie Alley, who we... That surprising loss this week as yeah. of recording. Um, and then also in television news this week, Darkwing Duck ends, uh, as all Disney afternoon shows eventually do after a third oh. year of syndication. Um, this was one of my favorite. I, I love Darkwing because I was a superhero nut mm -hmm. uh, back in the 1990s, the high point of my comic fandom. And there was pretty much nothing making fun of superheroes other than Darkwing Duck. It started off, they wanted it to be a James Bond parody called Double O Duck. 
But then they realized that the yeah. estate of Ian Fleming actually owns the right to double O. Yep. That's not a real thing. Double O doesn't exist in the actual British governments. It's just a creation of Ian Fleming. So you yes. can't call something double O and have and them not knocking on your door for a check. That's, what's fascinating to me is because that is what Batman, the 1966 Adam West Batman more than it is a superhero show, it was a James Bond show. There were layers and over-the-top villains. It's very, it's very, a very '60s spy thing, and that's kind of what the show became. It, it does still have a little bit of its James, like with Foul and everything, but those characters kind of disappear and take a backseat to superhero parody. And like I am, you know, on-demand entertainment for a kid in 1992 was comic books, and that's what I was reading more I was reading way more comic books than I was watching television. I love Darkwing and I would go as far as to say of the Disney afternoon shows it kind of holds up the best because of that silliness especially that I think Tailspin is the best that holds up to the modern day but I could definitely see a case being made for Darkwing. It's it holds up more than the original DuckTales does. It does. DuckTales is still a, a product of its time but this is like all this whole parody we live in a superhero age now anyway. This the parody still stands. The humor's yeah. a little kid focused but uh I love the design well, of everybody. It's a parody of Silver Age. Yes. uh superheroes mm-hmm. because this is a non-continuity show. There are three separate origin stories of Darkwing mm-hmm. that all contradict each other in the run of the Darkwing cartoon. And no one cares yeah. because it's not that type of show. And including just... including the last episode, which is Darkwing Duck going to a museum, finding himself encased in ember, Jurassic Park mosquito style, goes back in time to figure it out and just wakes up in the ember and doesn't really address it. <laughs> so that's another <laughs> origin for Darkwing. He's from thousands of years in the past. But uh, he had the best rogues gallery. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had some of the most amazing villains. I always have a uh, soft spot in my heart for the Liquidator. Oh, yeah. The uh, water-based superhero who talks like he's an advertisement, so stay tuned. Or the, sc- <laughs> the screaming at the top of his lungs, Dan Castellaneta as Megavolt. And I love I love the color scheme of the whole show, the purples and the, the dark greens and blues. But Bushroot, man, he sounds like John Candy. Uh, he's in the only Christmas episode, uh, but Darkwing Duck, uh, Jim Cummings is still alive and has done him a bunch of other places, raw tunage. He's made of cameo appearances. And even as of, is it, was it this year? Did that happen this year? God, I'm so out of it. Uh, this year or last year times a whammy ball right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was, he made an appearance in the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie at the very, very end. If you didn't see it, ladies and gentlemen, the Rescue Rangers! Boo hiss! We want Darkwing! We want Darkwing! Say it with me! We want Darkwing! What a load of malarkey! We do, and it, it, they re- I do. I want I uh, that Ducktales reboot slammed it out of the park, mm-hmm. and if they could do the same with a Darkwing reboot, you know, he appeared in a couple episodes of uh, Ducktales. That, so strange. Where they. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it worked perfectly. He, it, in the new DuckTales, he is Adam West Batman in the show, and <laughs> Launchpad likes the show. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, but also, I, I do want to recommend Boom Studios relaunched as a comic book, and the comic book was really funny. Uh, really, really fun. Perfect Darkwing. I liked it a lot. Uh, also out this week is the TV movie. Not a Troy McClure movie. This is a real HBO movie title. Dead Ahead. Dead ahead, the Exxon Valdez disaster. <laughs> and 
Yeah. You're making a lot of money off this oil, and you're not giving anything back. The story is true, but the real truth may never be known. It happened in America's last great wilderness, Alaska. It happened to us in the dead of night while America slept. <laughs> slow ahead. Slow ahead. While we slept. Above. It sounds like it's Troy McClure. Yeah. It's the truth. But is the true true not true? And who can say? I'm Troy McClure on the Exxon I mean, Valdez disaster. I'm always dead confused. Ahead. I'm always confused. Um, but yeah, that's out this week on HBO. And uh, lastly, we got an episode of MST3K. What's the episode? Uh, the episode is the Rebel set, okay. but what's really memorable about Beat it to Nicks. me... They're the worst! <laughs> I love their juvenile delinquent like yes. Nick, Nick hippie movies. Yeah. They're some of my favorites. But, but my favorite part of this episode is the short Johnny at the Fair. <sighs> it's, it's God! probably my second favorite short of all time behind Mr. B Natural. <laughs> and they just roast Johnny. And at the start of the show, uh, Joel says, okay, this is a fun short. Let's not go dark. Mm -hmm. And they go dark. <laughs> they go dark so many times. Like, uh, uh, this clip stuck with me. Afterwards, Johnny can't stop going up and down. The drugs from the chemical wonderland start to kick in. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I am not a drug guy. I, I never have been a drug guy, drug guy. But I did go to college. And I did try the reefer in college. Yes. And uh, when that happened, I don't know, guys. Maybe this doesn't have any effect on me. Let me take some more. Oh, shit. And then Light hurts you. it hit in. And as it was hitting in, hitting in. I swear to God, my mind went the drugs from the chemical wonderland uh, are beginning to kick in <laughs> <laughs> because that's how big of a geek i am the first time i tried pot i instantly thought of a mst3k reference hell yeah <laughs> kind of coincided with me too uh and then moving on the games of 1992 uh I, what i just thought was kind of startling like how many of these games are currently purchasable right now which isn't always mm -hmm. the case especially with licensed stuff but uh you got captain america and the avengers and the genesis you uh, can't escape. You will be the one escaping. No. Uh, what? I, I thought about talking the entire podcast in the voice. Wow. But then our readers would hate that. Uh, yeah, love Captain America and the Avengers. One of the greatest dating beat-em-ups of all time. T2, the arcade game, uh, on Genesis, is out on Genesis, which was a big deal. I think that was to promote their menacer peripheral the Super Nintendo had the, uh, what would you call it? The bazooka. The Genesis the bazooka. had, it's not a zapper. It's not a gun. It's an Uzi. It's like a sub, it looks like a submachine gun. And they had the Terminator 2 arcade version, which is one of the first arcade games to star. Celeb it says starring Robert Patrick, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Edward Furlong in the game. And you, there's an arcade one-up version of that. Sunset Riders, a fantastic game, which I know I bought on PS4. So uh, I think that's still out. Those games just remind me the Genesis was designed to be an arcade emulator. A little bit, it yeah. was designed to take all mm -hmm. the Genesis arcade games and let you play it at home. But by 1992, I also feel like the market was kind of moving away from that. Yeah. Well, we, uh, the, yeah, that, that trajectory of games didn't really exist anymore. But both Nintendo and Sega, that was their motivating factor for getting in the console market. We can take our games and make them as arcade perfect as possible and make all the money. And speaking of Genesis, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Hyperstone Heist uh, is out. Uh, 
first original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game for Genesis. Yeah. Uh, not a direct port of Turtles in Time, mm-hmm. but a quasi-sequel spinoff of it. And available in the Cowabunga collection that came out this year, yep. I believe. I think we might be talking about it on this week's Video Game Apocalypse this Friday, wherever you get your podcast. World of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck on Genesis. I don't think that's Hi. available... I love the Illusion series uh, starring uh, Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. And when they added Donald Duck, that's when it Pretty really great. came home. Because this was when they allowed two-player. Mm-hmm. And a two-player co-op platforming is hard to pull off. But all of my memories of this game are two-player mode, playing it with my friend. Just having one of us be Donald. I think it was me because I always thought Donald was the way better character than Mickey. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to be able to jump around was amazing. And what also amazes me is that there is a sequel coming out next year. Is there? Disney <laughs> Illusion Island is an upcoming four-player platformer. Oh, right. Uh, that is going to be released, and it's a continuation of the Illusion series, though one of the weirdest series out there. Indeed. And uh, you and your friend play, play that Streets of Rage 2? Because that is a wonderful, wonderful game that I didn't... I was a Final Fight guy. I didn't get to touch this till years later, but amazing music. The Warriors come to life. It's and absolutely You know, when I think of an urban hellscape in which thugs get into brawl after brawl, you know what immediately comes to my mind? What? A pirate ship. <laughs> That's one of the levels in this yes. Streets of Rage game, and also a pirate ship you can fight on. It was required. <laughs> it was required. One, yes. And then moving into music of 1992, December 9th through the 15th, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston is still number one. Uh, new releases also include Insecticide by Nirvana. Uh, insecticide. Insecticide. What did I say? Incest- you said insecticide. It's insecticide because we're edgy. Yeah, it's I all like it. it's B-size and stuff that hadn't been released yet. Good album. It's good. Uh, it's it's good Your Call by Reba McIntyre is out this week. Uh, 5150, Home for the Sick uh, by Easy e is out this week. Going up against Dr. Dre's The Chronic. Boy, will they mention one another. And The Chronic is oh, on... Dear. Rolling Stone's uh, top 500 albums of all time list. So we are going to take you out of 1992 with nothing but a G thing by Dr. Dre. But do not move, people. We got so much more to talk about in the next segment. Stay right there. One, two, three, and to the folks. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Because you know we're about to rip shit up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low depth, nigga, so we're crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time Network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. Whole result, Dark Dark, we watched The Dark Crystal, 1982's The Dark Crystal, directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. Hey, let's dispel this. Not a flop. No, I think after the... The Jason Siegel Muppets and the original Muppet movie, it is the highest grossing, like, puppet-based film. Yeah, and I think up, up yep. until maybe Team America. Yeah. Team America should be in that conversation, because, like, a bunch oh, of the right. IMDb trivia is like, this is the only live-action movie starring no human beings. And, like, uh, 
And then they brought up the 2019's The Lion King. Like, why can't we call that an animated film? Like, none of that exists. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. That was all that's drawn. That's interesting debate happening right now with, I mean, we're, we're I'm already getting off topic, but with the new Avatar movie, I, I believe there are no, like, human performances in that movie. Other than motion, motion yeah. Technically, I think that is an animated film. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm so but, psyched for that fucking movie. Do you think James Cameron was pissed he had no one to yell at? Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Just give me the light. Just give me the light. Just give me the light. Just give me the light and pass the joe. Another buckle more. Yeah, let me know my sides and I got to know which one is gonna catch my flow. Cause I'm in a Coming in with Give Me the Light by Sean Paul off of Duty Rock. Uh, that's out this week. 2002, December 9th through the 15th. Uh, other new music releases this week, 20 years ago, include uh, Jess Whitney by Whitney Houston, still alive. Uh, Legend of a Liquid Sword by Jizza, Pandemonium by B2K, uh, Round Room by Fish, Godson by Nas, and Electric Circus by Common. Lose Yourself by Eminem is still number one. Man, these hits are sticking around. A little bit, little... And all of Jamaica will come and beat your ass if you, I don't correct you. Wow, say it's Duddy Rock. Duddy Rock. Rock. Duddy Rock, my bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sean Paul. No idea. Just sounded like an, another white guy to me. Uh, a little bit of news. Jamaica, what are you talking about? It's fucking like dance hall. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I didn't get to listen to it before the break. I didn't. I was looking too far into the news of 2002 because the European Union announces, and you know how much I love the European Union, uh, (laughs) that Cyprus, the Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Malta, Poland, Slovakia, and Slovenia will become members starting May 1st, 2004. That's quite the probationary period. Well, no. Joining the European <laughs> Union is a big deal. You mm-hmm. need to change many aspects about your country, and that's not something that happens easily. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if you do it too fast, it can be worse for the country joining it than if it just took your time to really make sure you can fit into the European Union's uh, system, economy, everything. Um our hearts are all with Ukraine right now, and they're on the super fast track for European mm-hmm. Union membership. And honestly, that's not necessarily going to be the best thing for the Ukraine. Uh, taking a little more time and making sure that their systems are changed to fit with the EU is probably the better way to go. Mm-hmm. But with emotions involved, they kind of want to step on the gas and make it go a little faster than is probably wise. Mm. Yeah, they they've been slowly they they've been moving there. They've been moving in that direction for for a long time. But uh, yeah, what a difference! What 10, 11 years makes since the fall of the Soviet Union. We've got all these former Soviet bloc countries: Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, Slovakia, Slovenia. Those are all former Soviet bloc countries, either literally part of the Soviet Union or uh, under their control. Or Doctor Doom's control. There, yeah, slightly Doom. under ten years ago. All those countries hosted nuclear missiles in some manner to yep. kill the other members of the EU, and now they're joining it. Let's get into the movies of 2002, uh, December 9th to the 15th. First up, we got Evelyn with Pierce Brosnan, Aiden Quinn, Julian Margulies, Stephen Ray, etc. I haven't heard of this film. It's an Irish film. It's produced by Pierce Brosnan. It was a big... Uh, 
passion project of his is based loosely on a true story about uh, a single dad who it's like the 20s and he loses his kids and they go into like the uh, Catholic orphanages and he's like got an alcohol problem and he, he sues to try to get his kids back because it's back in the day when it's like men can't take care of children they'd be so much better in the workhouse mm. it's like uh yeah. yeah no i'll take the i'll take the drunk dad every day man so it's the 1950s and this is based 50s, upon sorry. a real case and uh ireland uh became fully impendent in 1947 at which point they adopted a written constitution uh the United Kingdom has never had a written constitution, but they were wanting to be different. And this is the first time any court case in Ireland uh, challenged a law based on saying this is against our constitution. Therefore, the law cannot stand. Um, it's a really solid drama. It will tug at your heartstrings. It plays all the right notes. Uh, the Irish government at the time uh you couldn't slide a piece of paper between it and the Catholic church. <laughs> they were tied that tightly. So he wasn't just taking on the Irish government. The children were in a nunnery. So he was taking on the Catholic church as well. So it's a real David and Goliath legal drama. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I admit I didn't get to watch it, but uh, I know by reputation as being pretty dang good and wish Pierce Brosnan had done sort of more serious dramas. It would have been nice. Yeah, he would have rocked it. He rocks it in this, and I wish he would have uh, tried more like this, but not to be. Yeah. Also out this week, the crime of Pedro Amaro with uh, Gail Garcia Bernal and others. I've never heard of this film either, sadly. Uh, well, it's, uh, I think, a Spanish-Mexican co-production. It's Padre Amaro. So, yeah, again, more Catholics I... being bad. Mm. It's about a priest who... Starts the relationship with the woman, and also there's some corruption going on. And oh, it turns out like the, the internal politics of the Catholic Church can sometimes be really fucked up. What? No. Outside of America and Europe, I had no idea. Yeah, this was like super controversial, and like every Catholic country wanted to ban it and almost stopped it from getting released. Yeah, because mm. and it's not it's not just based on a true story; it's based on a book. But just the idea that like yeah, Catholic priests sometimes don't live up to their own standards <gasps> what? uh and in news and movie release i am interested in anthony wong yeah. tony long andy lau infernal affairs fuck yeah infernal affairs mm -hmm. y'all like the depadded the depadded the depadded's a remake of infernal affairs yo indeed and it goes on to be a trilogy and they keep flirting with the idea of bringing uh mr Wahlberg back and Trying to make another one of these, uh, remake another one. I have no, I've Ooh. never seen any of the other Infernal Affairs. So I have no idea how I, possible Yeah, it is. I haven't seen two or three either. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been a long time since I saw the first one. But the first one, yeah, it kicked ass. I, I mean, it's the exact, you saw the Depatted, then you know what it's about. It's about, you know, a undercover, a crook who's an undercover cop and a cop who's an undercover crook. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> them trying to take each other down and find the rat within their differences. And yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty straight remake. Honestly, the the departed, you know, I guess ups the stakes a little bit, but um, yeah, everyone's really good in it. I really like Andy Lau, and uh, yeah, go check out Infernal Affairs. Man. I prefer it's the accents of the departed. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about this to Michael and saying it really would have been funny if um, they have Infernal Affairs and the dub has everyone have Boston accents That'd for no great. reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the first time in the history of Kimchi or Pussy. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got to clean up Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, and then, oh, ugh. see, now I want to know if there is like a Hong Kong accent where they watch a Hong Kong movie in mainland China and they're like, oh gosh, those Hong Kongers and their accents. Uh, this is, they probably are, yeah. Their accents are way too Gungam style. I am out of Korean references. <laughs> and uh, then we can move on to, oh, geez, maybe the worst movie. That we, <sighs> Rachel McAdams. There Mc are a few. No. Okay. Rachel McAdams in her film debut. Let's just start oh, there. Everybody but deserves better except is, for. Is there, are there three more terrifying words than a Rob Schneider vehicle? Yeah. Rob Schneider <laughs> is something that's not a human male. Uh, I believe we have a clip on that. Yeah. Miles O'Keefe, Robert Javier, uh, uh, Miles O'Keefe. Poor, poor, oh, Michael O'Keefe, poor Anna Ferris, and then of course Rob Schneider in The Hot Chick. Ugh. Rob Schneider is a Wall Street executive with everything going for him. Only problem is, he's about to become a carrot. I'm a carrot. It's 24. Uh, I, I, I do feel like South Park. <laughs> Kind of did some good work there, putting the needle in most Rob Schneider movies. Where like, I do the, wonder, did that kill the Rob Schneider vehicle? Because it was so pitch perfect. Yeah, it was just this amazing little. You, everyone rolled their eyes about Rob Schneider comedies, but until the South Park guys did their Rob Schneider is doopity doop, derpa derpa, doopity doop. I I don't feel like anyone had purified their hatred of the Rob Schneider formula down until this South Park reference where it is like, okay, what carrot or stapler is Rob Schneider going to be in this film? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm glad they did it. Man, I don't like Rob Schneider. He's even no. worse today than he was then. And he co-stars with Robert Davi, who just directed the Hunter Biden movie. Mm, I bet they're still oh, friends. Oh, Robert Davi. They probably are, yeah. No, and this where Rob Schneider is accidentally body swapped with a girl, hot with like girl a, and... a hot like sorority team cheerleader type, and oh, now yeah. he's doing things that are girly. That's funny, right? Girl things are funny. It, it look, he's a criminal in this movie. So, but if you haven't seen the movie Freaky, where Vince Vaughn as a serial killer swaps place with a hot high schooler. It is pretty funny. It is pretty good. Uh, See, much better I, I, version. I was of that movie. wondering if you could make the concept in yeah. recently and and do a good job at it. You know, a gender swap comedy. I I feel like you could do it. You just have to handle it better than this. It's like a it's does. like a straightforward horror movie where there's just moments of like yeah, Vince Vaughn trying to run like a teenage girl. It's it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, and speaking of uh, movement... Fuck the hot chick. Fuck all that. Indeed. Hey, this one, he pretends he's an animal. This one, he pretends he's a chick. Now he's a carrot. Now he's... Uh, what else is on my desk? Uh, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler has a contract <laughs> with Sony. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, a more surprise hit uh, that you most people probably didn't see coming, Jason Weaver, Leonard Roberts, Orlando Jones, Zoe Saldana, and Nick Cannon in Drumline. Devin Miles has his own attitude. I just thought I had a little something-something on the end. He's got his own style. Rehearsals are closed. I can help you out with a couple of them dance moves. Two, three, pop it. And he's exactly what they need to take it to the top. It's showtime! Drumline. You might want to do some girl push-ups. <laughs> Drumline. Um, man, I've seen it. Didn't see it. We get to rewatch it for this. 
formulaic, but like, man, I didn't yeah. really know that much about Trump lines in general. So damned if it isn't interesting uh, to see how all that moves. Because uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's a sports movie template, yeah. but it's about marching bands, specifically the drum parts, which is the best part of marching bands. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's fun. I realized I think you can remake it now, starring only Nick Cannon's children. <laughs> it does extend to most of the cast, yes. Uh, he has at least twelve. Um, Not a boy. He's he's a he's a busy man. Another year, another kid. Um, yeah, but I mean, God, twenty years ago, he has not aged a day. It's a little terrifying, but yeah. like, yeah, he's pretty charming and fun. You know what? You know where this is going. He's you know the bad boy outsider. He doesn't care, and I care now. And then we're gonna win the big competition. And Zoe Saldana is always cool. She's always overqualified for everything she was in at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised. I was sort of like, eh, it's just some sort of teen, whatever. And I was like, oh, actually, this like, it's got some heart to it. And the music's actually a lot of fun. And yeah, by the end, it was, in a way, it was sort of like Bring It On, but for guys. Yeah. Where it's kind of got the same thing of like, I know where this is going to go. Oh, but they did it really well, though. Mm -hmm. I I enjoy, by the end, I'm like, yeah, cheering. So if you haven't seen a drumline in an HBU, I I live in a town with one, it's pretty fucking amazing. Um, And, that will always be inherently interesting, even when put on film. Uh, oh, yeah. Less interesting um, is how this well, the series this, went out. Uh, this but is sad. This is this is sadness. It is uh, Ron Perlman. Know where we're going yet? Tom Hardy. <laughs> uh, let's see if people know uh, Marina Sirtis, uh, Gates McFadden, and then Michael Dorn. Now you're getting it. Lavar Burton, Brett Spiner, Jonathan Frakes, Patrick Stewart. It is the tenth Star Trek movie, the last uh, last theatrical voyage for the Starship Enterprise, Star Trek Nemesis. For every good in the universe, he said he's a miracle. There is an evil. I must deactivate you. Why? Because you are dangerous. And the only way to conquer it, resistance is futile. Is to face it. I'm a mirror for you as well. Now get so fame. Now. A generation's final journey begins. Star Trek Nemesis in cinemas February 6th. Yes. Well, not here. Um, but yes, Star Trek this Nemesis. This is such a disappointment. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, gave each of the original cast some type of send-off. Mm-hmm. It was the perfect ending uh, to the original cast. Everyone had something to do. It summed up the vibe of the original series perfectly. It was a logical endpoint. This is none of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the TNG cast, who has been in far more screen time than the original crew ever was. You know, yeah. the number of episodes they have dwarf the original series by like what three times or something yeah, like something that. Something like that. Seven mm-hmm. seasons, twenty something episodes. Yeah. So uh there's a lot to work with you could absolutely write a fitting end to that crew, but this just doesn't. Um, it has numerous mistakes, one of which was hiring a director who had no connection to Star Trek whatsoever. He had never watched it. He had never done anything. That's not a guaranteed failure. The director of Wrath of Khan was the same, but the director of Wrath of Khan threw himself into the Star Trek universe absorbed the Star Trek universe, Mm -hmm. figured out what made it click, 
this director did nothing. The director of executive up... decision. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he threw in a bunch of action scenes, but they're not Star Trek action. Okay. <laughs> when you think Star Trek, do you think Dune buggies? Yeah. <laughs> I'm dead serious. That's a pretty cool Dune buggy. That's a, that's a major action piece in this film is Dune buggies, yeah. which were already not that technologically advanced in 2002. Uh, but in the Star Trek universe, they're like ancient. And it's like, why do you have dune buggies when you have ships that can fly and hover? What What is the purpose? What use is that? And I, I always thought I, I didn't attribute it to the director, but you could be right that it's Star Trek theatrically struggling with modern sci-fi films and trying to have something that's important to the canon, i.e. Tom Hardy as Kirk's, or, uh, Jesus, Picard's clone. But trying to be a crowd-pleasing popcorn action movie, and it's you know it's fairly similar to what you would get with the next J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. It 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 does have that same kind of flavor, and but it's worse. It's not as not as fun for one yes. thing. The J, mm -hmm. original J.J. Abrams Star Trek, the That's first true. one, had a degree of funness that this one is just lacking. Yeah, and, and it, if you're like me and you didn't see it in theaters and you saw it later, knowing this is the end. Because it's clear they don't, they want to try and wring this franchise as hard as they can. But like, yeah, it, they weren't planning on it being the end, and it wasn't. Um, no, and and then they, and it was. That's yeah, why they is... ripped off Wrath of Khan, and they had Data sacrifice himself in a way that leaves his clone B four with a total out, where it's like, okay, B four, which is the stupidest name ever, by the way, <laughs> uh, can just download data's memories and we can have data back and the quest for data can be our next one no okay the death <laughs> of spock in khan was epic it was emotional it made sense the death of data in this one is unsatisfying and an utter unfitting end to a character who was probably the second most important character in star trek at mm -hmm. this point other yeah. than picard you know yeah and this is totally the Picard and Data show. Uh, I yeah, mean, yes. everyone else, they, they get a moment or two here, but they don't have, like, real arcs. They don't really get much to do. Uh, I I guess it was weird because I was pleasantly surprised by this because I thought this was going to be really bad because Insurrection mm -hmm. was really bad. I think that's one of the worst things Star Trek's ever freaking done. It's like a slightly dressed up episode and it, I just don't care. I don't care about anything. It's, it, it, you know, and to find out that had a higher budget than this, like this, they, they cut the budget from 70 million to 60 million. I feel like they're doing a lot more here than they did on insurrection. I feel like this could have been a go okay placeholder movie, but it was okay. Well, it, it wasn't, it wasn't it meant wasn't to be the awful. end. Yeah. The next film after this was intended to be the Avengers of Star Trek. It was going to see mm -hmm. the TNG cast interact with the Deep Space Nine and oh. Voyager crafts oh. cast. So that could have been something. That's what they should have gone out on. They should have gone yeah. out with just like, let's, if we're going to end it, let's end it epically. But it ended with a whimper and it ended so badly that they had to go back in 19 to 1966 for the next film. Because this is the end, theatrically at least, of the Star Trek timeline. This is yeah, the last movie in the timeline. Well, there's no other film after this well, in the original I timeline. Rewatched it semi recently because it is very canonical to Picard. 
and yeah. how, and, and what Picard okay. is, and it follows up di- directly these events. It, they are very important to Picard. Uh, well, so- okay. okay. Let me mm-hmm. let me ask this: In mm-hmm. Wrath of Khan, Kirk learns to deal with his own mortality, the fact that he is growing old, and the fact that there is sometimes a no one situation. Mm-hmm. That's what gives the death of Spock meaning in Wrath of Khan. What did Picard learn in this film? Mm. Well, in, um, in Picard, that he loves data. <laughs> you already know that. And this is him no, terribly. I think the one the one thing I, I liked about it is that he did learn to try to be unpredictable because like so much of it is like because Tom Hardy is a clone of him. He's like, I know how you think. So mm. I guess we're we're going with nature over nurture here. Um so yeah, Tom Hardy's really good at in it, figuring out what Picard's gonna do next. So he does like the least Picard thing he can think of. And that ends up saving the day. So like that was, yeah, the idea of like, you know, either turn yourself in or I'm going to kill everyone. And normally Picard would be like, okay. And this time he's like, fucking ram him, ram the fucker. I'm like, okay, that was a very un-Picard thing to do. I'll give you that. Also, no, it I was found very the- weird. It was very weird to have the backstory be Tom Hardy is a child and he's thrown in a pit other guy befriends him and becomes his protector. Where have I seen that before this single year that we born talked about? Born in the Enterprise. He was born there. Mm. You merely have the lithium mines. <laughs> I found the clone of Picard to be just a stupid plot line, and it, it was yeah. not helped that in 2002, Dr. Evil was very much in the public <laughs> consciousness, and... <laughs> Picard's clone totally looks like Dr. Evil. You just just picture Tom Harding doing the, the pinky to the mouth look, and you've got mm-hmm. Dr. Evil. That's the output. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, like the idea that, oh, he's, but he's dying. They don't explain. How does he get followers? How did he get a bitch and ship? How did he do it? How did he get out of the mines? How did, it's like, it's just sort of like yada, 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 Romulans. I'm like, oh. It's, okay. it's just, it's another example of just like, Star Trek succeeding despite CBS and Paramount, who have mm. just been their like more so than the Klingons, their biggest adversary in Star <laughs> Star Trek universe, and and where it's finally found a good place for itself on a streaming service where very few people are watching it. But yeah, there. I I mean to be fair, in two thousand two, TNG had been off the air for so long that not only had Deep Space Nine ended before this movie came out, mm-hmm. but Voyager had also ended before this yeah. came out, and they were already back in time with the Enterprise. So mm. that's a lot. That's a lot of yeah. media that yeah, had been just, produced but in hindsight, after TNG. And where Picard exists, like the TNG crew never should have stopped flying. That, that never should have happened. And the, that they had so little faith in it. Yeah, we're just going to keep cutting its budget and not giving a shit about its script and its director until... <laughs> The franchise is effectively dead, yet perseveres despite all these studio decisions. It's just fucking weird and anger-inducing. My favorite little, they just don't care about this film, and Mm -hmm. they don't care about the character's bit to this, they don't care about the legacy, is that Will Wheaton's character, Wesley Crusher, Mm -hmm. appears in this movie. However, if you watch uh, a non-Letterboxd version, he does not appear, because in every (laughs) single shot... He is in this film. It's to the furthest left or the furthest right. So if it's non-letterbox, which a lot of people watched in 2002, right. he does not appear in the film. Oh, oh, a lot of people man. might prefer that version. Yeah. Also found out, spoiler alert for Voyager, because Janeway appears. And I was like, oh, well, I guess you just told me the end of Voyager, huh? She's okay. She got back. Yeah. Good for her. 
Uh, this film broke the trend of the even movies being it, awesome, uh, or at least it good. Did. Yeah, that's true. I think all the Star Trek movies suck except for um, First Contact. Uh, the TNG movies. Yeah, but uh, like, Generations, Generations has things good going in on it. I wish it had just been a TNG movie, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, First Contact is like the only one. That's... This was I found this watchable. It's got a whole bunch of problems. I did like the final battle. I thought it was pretty neat. Goes on a long time though. Yeah, I was it's completely the first bored Star Trek it. with no miniatures, a hundred percent CGI. Mm. Really? Yeah. Oh gosh, I thought there were some miniatures in the big battle, but oh well. And, yeah, less disappointing than I was expecting, but I was expecting um, it to be slightly better than the hot chick. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is one of those moments where I miss it's me, Sarah. Oh, this is also the first Star Trek to never reach number one at the box office. Mm. Every other Star Trek movie had yeah. had that happen. But as we'll get into, I can't believe it was a Star Trek movie was beaten by our next film. Yes. Uh, well, you know, it is the holidays. Where is it to me, Sarah, to dive on this grenade? Uh, Francis Conroy, Tyler Posey, Stanley Tucci, uh, Natasha Richardson, Ray Refines, and Jennifer Lopez... Number one at the box office, it's made in Manhattan. Why? He's the girl who works behind the scenes. He's New York's what? most eligible bachelor. What are you doing? I'll try him on. I can't try on her clothes. Hello. Hi. On December 13th. <laughs> he thinks I'm a guest. Come with me. I don't have anything to wear. It's not with you, guys. baby is who you know. She's getting the chance to make all her dreams come true. It's like fate. This is who you really are. You're beautiful. Made in Manhattan, rated PG-13 in theaters. Uh, made in Manhattan, just uh, whatever. I, it's it's Pretty Woman again, everybody. It's just Pretty Woman again. Or, um, or the na the nanny made in an alternate universe. But not funny. Yeah, mostly I'm just so baffled by Ray Fiennes being in the yeah. movie. I realize, okay, it's an easy paycheck. I don't have to try hard. This way I can, you know, fund whatever weird indie film version of Eugene Onegin I want to make whatever but it's just baffling because like he they never kind of goes back to doing this sort of thing ever again it's just for a check and have negative amounts of chemistry with Jennifer Lopez yeah yeah and I remember who's fun. this is fun she's really good at this sort of light comedy she's very fun yeah but... she probably elevates the material which is you know yeah. pretty pappy and this is not for me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bother to watch this to shit all over it. I just think it. It's interesting. I believe, as legend tells, and there's some asterisks here. It's the first major studio movie to film in New York following 9/11, and they. I believe they make a. They designate a Made in Manhattan Day because they were kind of worried whether people would come back. Uh, I think the next movie next week is a little more notable in the 9/11 respect, but. Uh, yeah, it's filming in April following 9-11. And mm. uh, yeah, if that's notable for you at all, because it's the only thing I remember about it. Made Manhattan. Uh, what do you yeah. think? Let us know. It ends up being just a big ass hit. It's, yep. It is kind of surprising. But, you know, yeah, people like this sort of, it's not challenging. It's wish fulfillment. You know, mm. she's literally a housekeeper. And it's it's fucking hallmarky. You know, oh, oh. It's it's. Away, blah, blah, blah. but it's got a budget and nice clothes mm -hmm. and good actors you know they're not just filming in augusta georgia and pretending it's new yes and uh, uh yeah it's fine it's, 
it's just not it's you not tell us it's folks because there's a bunch of wonderful stuff happening on television this week to make up for made in manhattan dominating the box office uh i love this bit of news animation for the simpsons uh changes from cell animation to digital ink and paint uh yeah so this is why you can't it's very hard to buy any cell animation uh, from the 21st century. Just it's it got pushed out. It's just we don't have no, it's, physical it's, cells anymore. I have a I have a bunch of cells, and they're pretty easy to obtain. For the Simpsons, it's difficult because I don't think other studios like Nickelodeon and MTV they sold theirs like in in their stores, the Paramount stores, Ooh. NBC stores. Whereas the Simpsons stuff. It's either a gift or stolen, usually, when you end up obtaining <laughs> a Simpsons animation cell. But it's it's just also interesting that it goes digital, but not widescreen. Like, that's huh. the Simpsons, it's that yeah. weird I period. Widescreen was not the norm in 2002. That's no. why if you watch the widescreen version of Buffy, you see, like, a camera guy and uh, someone eating a bagel to it's the true. left or right. <laughs> it is true. Um, but, yes, and also, like, I, I'm... I've been wanting to give a shout out to this show for a long time because I loved Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, which debuts in Comedy Central this week. Uh, I think the first big show to follow The Daily Show as it's The Daily Show is gaining ground is like a must watch thing. And 20 years ago, you get Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. Basically, I would say a glorified podcast. (laughs) A, yeah. a comedian's podcast before, but before we had those because they would have a rotating panel of four comedians, unlike something like Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher, never an expert <laughs> in anything, <laughs> just comedians espousing their opinions. And boy, are those opinions, did those opinions not date well? It is post 9-11, but these are all New York comics. They are angry, mm-hmm. occasionally sound bigoted. And, uh, yeah, round them all up kind of shit. But I, I still thought, like, this is one of the filthiest, funniest, meanest things on television, and it was transfixing. If only for uh, the, the stable, who do we got there? Like, G- Greg Gerardo, Julie, Julie Gold, Nick DiPaolo, Jim Norton, uh, Keith Robinson, but my absolute favorite, Patrice O'Neill. Oh, what, right. what I really, really loved about this show if you said something and people started applauding, they would tell the audience to shut up. If somebody, if somebody did a hack joke, they would make fun of them. like, they wouldn't edit it out of the show. That was part of the show. <laughs> Comedians being viciously mean to one another, which, which <laughs> gave it that podcast feel. And I just have this clip. There's all these great clips of Patricia O'Neill, especially will step on people's lines, tell them their joke is shitty. Uh, this is what ha- this is what a bomb from Dom Irera and Craig Gr- Geraldo do- does not go unheralded. I would think, yeah. First of all, I, I, I imagine Taxi and Friends are very popular in Palestine. Before, <laughs> hey, Mom, before I strap on these bonds, before I strap on these bombs, can I watch Taxi one more time? <laughs> you know, actually, <laughs> I don't write my own stuff. <laughs> Well, if, if you watch, first of all, I mean, if you watch Friends, you realize that uh, that Rachel's not really the, the peacemaker. Uh, Good boy. point. Holy Christ, I never thought I could top your bomb with a word. I know. I'm talking about bombing. Oh, please, bail us out. Come on. I'm not going to bail. I'm going to strap one of your jokes to myself and run through Palestine. <laughs> <laughs> Still makes me laugh. A bunch of it's on YouTube. Uh, I kind of wish... It existed in podcast form, even though it doesn't. But uh, Tough Crowd was really, really fun for the two years it lasted. Um, didn't and, learn a thing. 
I felt very eh about it. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, it probably. Dep- just about everybody on the show at some point, even 20 years ago, was saying, like, you can't make fun of anybody anymore. It was it was very much like, but occasionally you you get a little more on the left voices that would come on the show. And that was always fun. Mm-hmm. Any comedian stopping through New York. George Carlin did it. Seinfeld did it. Uh, yeah, it's a great show, I thought. It just it, If you love com- comedians, and it was like a way to see, like, shit, like five known comedians every single night rather than waiting for the scant chance they might show up on The Night Show or Letterman. Uh, mm-hmm. and- That's true. They were definitely more vocal than they would be on even, like, Letterman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you can hear them say really stupid things, and now they'd, now they'd all be canceled. I suppose. I suppose. Um and they were canceled, uh, but just took two years. And also this week, is this when this episode, this is when the episode airs, Firefly Objects in Space, which... Yeah. This is uh, Joss Whedon's attempt to tackle existentialism mm-hmm. on television, which <laughs> wasn't really something done on network television, as best as I can tell. And... It's a fascinating episode. There's so many hints here of what could have been in the expanded Firefire universe if it would have gotten season two or season three. Uh, Shepard in this episode is having his mind read. uh, And what he thinks in his mind is, I don't give half a hump if you're innocent or not. So where does that put you? So why would a shepherd not care about someone if they're innocent or not? because they're more than a shepherd and that could have been explored so much better in a long form uh television series than the like hints of it we got in the uh movie. serenity movie somebody will have to tell me about that no i don't and he never does <laughs> like, it, yeah and ron glass is not alive to do it and this is just such a yeah. bummer because they basically introduced like fucking boba fett kind of a yeah. precursor to the operative and and serenity just wonderful but and, and just this is I, I i i forgot this isn't what is it canonically the last episode it's the last episode to air this is and it appears canonically the last episode but not the last episode aired the last episode nice. aired is the pilot oh right <laughs> but it's, it's the last episode on the dvd giving you the it, it does have yes. it has a season finale cliffhangery thing that mm-hmm. is not entirely genuine considering like i think that there are two episodes that are set after this Anyway, so Firefly it didn't get anything like a last episode, so there's yeah. there's no finality. Well, it's to got it. the Serenity movie, which is supposed yeah. to be the last episode. It's but supposed yeah. to be like the last I mean, half of a season. Yeah, I'd say the Serenity movie is like two seasons mm-hmm. crammed into one movie. But uh, there's so much to love here. There's a fantastic shot where Jane is woken up from a fight, and he pulls down this blanket to reveal a wall of guns. But then he just covers himself with the blanket and goes back to sleep. I mean, <laughs> those little those little touches are just they they make this a great series. Which um, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a great episode that got better with every episode, and, and I'm including this one. That's why it's like it just I discovered it on DVD, and like this being the last one was fucking infuriating. Uh, where was this gonna go? Holy shit! It was it's opening up the universe a little bit to something greater. Ugh, Firefly. I might not get to mention it again until the 10th season of 302010. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, whenever Serenity comes out. I know. The 10th season. Yeah. I, I can't wait. Okay. Uh, Scrubs. This week in My Monster. Uh, episode My Monster. The Christmas episode. 
is out. Uh, yeah, this is the hospital as a monster that eats up your social life. I, I love Scrubs. <laughs> I think it it handles the workplace reality with its unreality very well. And there are jobs where it will just be like, yeah, this job will absolutely eat up every inch of your social life if you let it. Um, but it ends with JD and Elliot starting to get romantic. Uh, I have mm. never dated someone in my workplace ever. Have either of you done that? Oh, no. I was dating someone and then they came to work at my workplace. Mm. That doesn't quite count. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. say that counts. You That's should have disclosed like that to him. I think I did. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> By the book. Good man. But yeah, yeah. Dating people at work is something that I've definitely seen far more in television than in reality, just because it's such a wellspring of drama for the writers to pull upon. But yeah, it's not something I have any experience with in real life. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Uh, and oh man, uh, wait, I don't know anything about Friends. Friends, the one with Christmas in Tulsa. Uh, so this is a clip show, but it's a badly organized clip show because it starts to go with the Christmas theme where it's like, okay, this is going to be a clip show of all the Friends Christmas episodes. But I guess they didn't have enough to go with because then they do a clip show of pretty much Chandler and Monica's entire relationship uh, while flashing back to the present where Chandler is apparently at risk of being unfaithful on a business trip with a co-worker again. Yes. And with the episode I really, really love, I love Christmas episodes of South Park. They're all usually winners. And I do find it kind of funny. It, I can barely make the segue. Last week we talked about the unofficial 30th anniversary of South Park with uh, Santa versus Frosty. And later Jesus they would... Jesus well, versus Frosty. No, I think no, it no, starts as Santa It's Santa Frosty and then... The right. unofficial pilot is Santa versus <laughs> Jesus. Right. And Red Slay Down is the episode where they killed, they kind of kill Jesus forever <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a parody of Black Hawk Down. Uh, yeah, yeah. This episode also has the return of Kenny. Uh, Kenny had been dead for all of season five. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it was like this, this epic thing. The return of Kenny. And the entire episode passes. And at the very end, uh, Kenny waddles on screen and the boys go, hey, Kenny, where you been? And he just goes, over there. And the boys go, okay. And that's the, <laughs> that's the return of Kenny. But what about when they tried to build the ladder to heaven to get Kenny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah he Whatever was over there. Yeah. But Jesus is effectively <laughs> dead as well for a couple of years after this. He definitely comes back at, at some point. But yeah, he, come, he comes back in imagination land, which is a very underhanded joke that a lot of people I don't think even notice that Jesus is among the council of fictional characters. <laughs> uh, we have a clip from this. Does it need set up? I don't know what this is. Christmas is a very special time of year, but this year it almost didn't happen. There's a man named Jesus who gave his life to save me. And so I declare that every year on Christmas Day, we should remember Jesus for what he did <laughs> and thank him for it. From now on, Christmas will be a day for remembering a brave man named Jesus. 
I just love that bit. I love the fact that they had uh, to explain why you remember Jesus on Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Christmas, the Scooby-Doo Christmas is also out this week. Is this a TV movie? Uh, yeah, it's a special, and it has the best explanation for why a town would hate Christmas. Oh, great. Just what we need out of towners. Hey, what happened to goodwill toward men? And girls. After all, it's Christmas. Don't say that word around here. Winter Hollow doesn't celebrate Christmas. Uh You wouldn't celebrate it either if it meant having to deal with the headless snowman. Okay, a monster attacking your town on Christmas... Makes sense for why that town hates Christmas. Go on, you small rural town. You got every reason to. All right. Was that M. Emmett Walsh? Because that sounded like M. Emmett Walsh. I was I'm going to pretend it was. A strange brew guy. Dave uh, something. I don't know. Or Dave Thomas? Dave Thomas. That could be Dave Thomas. Sounded like M. Emmett Walsh. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, and then games of 2002. We got the Clone Wars on PS2. Everybody's favorite Star Wars saga. Not uh, based on the cartoons, though. Oh, uh, okay. This is it. Independent sequel to Attack of the Clones. It's half Jedi combat, half piloting five different vehicles. Very arcade-like. And then you got the Invincible Iron Man on GBA, which is a totally serviceable little platform game with some incredibly fluid sprite work and some dope music. I, I, yeah. It's serviceable, and that makes it the best Iron Man kinda, video game of all time. Kinda. <laughs> I think it's it's his first his first game. No, no, I think he had, he had a PlayStation he? game earlier. Did he? Okay, I he guess did, so. He did, crossing over with Exo Manowar. Um, in 2002, it was, he was such an obscure character. Yeah. Iron Man? Who is this Iron Man? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, from Activision, pretty decent. But uh, let's close out 2002 with a little something beautiful. With Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. It's on the charts this week. So stay right there. We'll be back with our final segment, 2012, and we got some uh, Hobbit stuff to talk about. Stay right there. I am beautiful, no matter what they say. Words can bring me down. I am beautiful in every single way. Yes, Hello, fellow nerf herders. Did you not like Last Jedi, Rise of the Skywalker, or would you just prefer a majority of Star Wars fans take a slow walk into a volcano? What I'm saying is, are you sick of Star Wars? Well, I thought I was, but my co-hosts Jeremy and Adam beg to differ. Except when they don't. Get ready for a whole lot of love, a whole lot of hate, and a whole lot of geeky therapy in our new series, Sick of Star Wars with a Big Giant Question Mark, exclusively available at patreon.com slash laser time. Here's a little taste. My monkey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Empire Strikes Back. Uh, here's a little bit of a teaser trailer from 1978, 1979. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. So can you tell who the narrator is? Dude, it, it sounds like a, a powdered toast man, like a reader. That's what's so crazy about it, <laughs> because the narrator is Harrison Ford. Is it really? Yeah, he's doing like, no a, what, like, a, like a radio. Yeah, it's the most enthusiastic performance I've ever heard from Harrison yeah, Ford ever, in my ever. life. 
but it's but you can hear it. Listen. Now the creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga: The Empire Strikes Back. The, the title it is the That's title nice. was the title Empire Strikes Back was I think leaked as early as 1978. It sounds like my wife listens to podcasts on 1.25 speed. Oh, it sounds can't like do it. I can't either. It sounds like chipmunks <laughs> to me. That's what it sounds like. Monkey. Oh, that's sick of Star Wars. Available exclusively at patreon.com slash laser time, along with weekly bonus shows, over 100 movie commentaries, exclusive bonus podcasts, and more for just five bucks. And that's in addition to the brand new show, Sick of Star Wars, an angst-ridden podcast saga told in nine parts. Listen long and prosper. This is so wizarding. Hello, Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch and for the week of December 9th through 15th. Three outstanding films. Let's start with the most recent one, which is all of 40 years ago. 40 years ago this week, 1982, saw the release of Sophie's Choice, which is, uh, yeah, a giant bummer. <laughs> Directed and written by uh, Alan J. Pakula, based on the novel by William Styron, starring Meryl Streep, Kevin Kline, Peter McNichol. Absolutely hitting every single ball just right out of the park. Uh, Meryl Streep is a Polish immigrant, lives with this guy, Kevin Klein, in his film debut. They seem like an interesting couple. They're sort of, you know, weird, but uh, attractive and fun. And But, you know, nothing's off. And then we get into her story of uh, surviving the Holocaust. And it's, not surprisingly, pretty freaking brutal. Everyone always talks about, like, how incredible Meryl Streep is in this. And of course she is. I have to give a big shout out to Kevin Klein though, because he so good depicting kind of what it's like to be with someone who's bipolar. They don't think they specifically call it bipolar, but it is it, it, it rang very true to me of someone who's like, this is fun and exciting and then all of a sudden it just changed, but we were having fun and why? It, it can be rough. It can be rough, but uh, again, why is this shit timely? I don't like talking about the timely stuff. Then, 50 years ago this week is a movie that is really hard to find. It's not streaming, and this frustrates me to no end. There's some problems with the rights where, like, you couldn't even get this on VHS for a long time, but if you can find it, probably through naughty means, you should absolutely watch from 1972 Sleuth, starring Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine, directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz. It is so much fun. If you love murder mysteries, oh my god, you need to watch Sleuth. The remake is... It's okay. The original, though, so great. Laurence Olivier plays a guy who is like a murder mystery writer. Michael Caine is the man his wife is cheating on him with. And then they have a long conversation. That's kind of it. And then it turns out, oh, wait, one of them is trying to set the other one up for murder. And then maybe the other one's trying to set the other one up for murder. It is so good. And it's cool that we've got another Michael Caine movie this week because Sleuth is just like nonstop just interesting and fun and to see these like two actors of two very different generations go head to head god damn yeah sleuth 1972 and then eh, i don't know if i want to recommend this next movie turning 60 this week but it's kind of like widely regarded as one of the best movies of all time oh right it's lawrence of arabia lawrence of arabia <laughs> turned 60 this week for 1962 directed by david lean uh starring peter o'toole omar sharif a little warning on Alec Guinness and Anthony Quinn are doing brownface, but kind of like the least offensive version of brownface I've ever seen, I guess. But uh, it's a login. It's like 
three and a half hours long. And I don't know if a single female character appeals in it. A single female character appears in it. But holy shit, you guys, if you've never seen Lawrence of Arabia, it's it's got an intermission, so you can break it up over two nights if you want to. Please see it in there's I think they just did a 4K restoration. If you can get your paws on that, oh my god. If not a regular Blu-ray, fine. It is cinematically one of the best movies ever made. There are these massive battles, these massive crowd scenes, but it's also a very, very personal film of one guy's sort of descent into megalomania. It's, oh my God. I, I, I could talk about it for like hours. I, I just, my God, it's Lawrence of Arabia is freaking amazing. I feel very lucky that I saw it. The very first time I saw it was on a big screen projected in 70 millimeter. And I was thirsty the whole damn time. Not just cause there's hot boys in it, okay? because you are in the desert and damn do you not feel like you are in the desert. The desert is a fucking character. So yes, if you've never seen Lawrence of Arabia, I hope I'm not overhyping it so you watch it and like, it's fine. I I think uh, if you've never seen it, it will speak to you somehow because there's so much going on in it. So also holds up for a rewatch. Like there will be stuff you totally forgot was in there. So yep, those are my recommendations for this week. Stay a classic. <laughs> So show me family All the blood that I will bleed I don't know where I belong I don't know where I went wrong But I can write a song I belong with you You belong with me in my sweet heart I belong with you You belong with me in my sweet heart Coming into 2012, our final segment of 302010 Oh, hey, by the Lumieres. Uh, wait, no, the Lumineers <laughs> on the charts this week. Welcome to our final segment. 2012, 10 years ago, other, the only other new release this week in music is Almeria by Lifehouse. Diamonds by Rihanna is still number one. A uh, little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2012. Google begins selling uh, laptops for $99. Are these not the Chromebooks? It's kind of like the start of Chrome. So mm. Google made the decision, you know what? If we just get the cheapest of the cheap, we can uh, get the low end of the market. And as they rise up, we'll lock them into place. And by God, did that model work for them? Because every school uses Chromebooks. It's mm. just like what they do. It's mm. a, we need a cheap computer. Go with the Chromebook route. Use Google's free software and you're locked into that uh, ecosystem for a long time, possibly the rest of your life. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, and then also this week, a, a little British physicist that nobody liked, Stephen Hawking, wins the $3 million fundamental physics prize, the most lucrative academic prize in the whole wide world. That's, that's more than money, the Nobel man. Prize. Yeah. yeah. That's, like Finally, he can retire. Uh, and then... <laughs> Also in 2012, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I saw someone bring this up of uh, when we played Kesha's Die Young and mm -hmm. remembering, oh, yeah, I love that song. Why did it suddenly drop off the radio when it was so popular? Because in because. A, Newton, a Newtown, Connecticut, uh, a 20-year-old kills his mom, drives to Sandy Hook Elementary School and kills the principal, five teachers, and 20 kids ages six and seven. Uh, so yeah. I'm a teacher and we have to do drills and we have to do, uh, 
rehearsals for what we do if this ever happens. And by God, does that suck. Yeah, that is it's a just, small price uh, to, pay, to pay so little dick pretend patriots can have these toys, these assault weapon-based toys that can yeah. easily murder everybody. Yeah, this is why we, it's very clear that, okay, we didn't get any gun control after this, not even like a return of the assault weapons ban. I think it's shown we will never be able to regulate guns in this country if we can't do it after this. Like, this is kind of so beyond indefensible. We got a guy with a, a series of mental problems. His mom had tried to get him some help along the way, but also taught him to use guns. Yep. And yeah. And it's no huge surprise that like, it's tough when you especially have a child who is this troubled. Like there were weeks where he'd only communicate by email when they lived in the same house. He had a lot of problems and she kind of uh, just didn't do anything. I don't think she realized how deep the problems were and didn't know how to get him help or was just in denial. And yeah, it's no surprise. That's where he starts by killing her. And then he goes to over to his elementary school and goes for the first classroom he sees and they're first graders. Um, and he massacres them. Uh, yeah. I, uh, uh, there's nothing you can say. Well, you can make up Except, lies about it. Yeah, well, it's so horrible and so shocking that there's plenty of people who immediately want to say, this couldn't have happened. This guns must are be great. a false flag to trick us into gun control legislation. And clearly, since that did not happen, and there is there is no such thing as a crisis actor. That is not a job. No one has ever done that. <laughs> Period. That, that, that is not a job. And so I guess like the good thing that came out of this is not that we got gun control, but that Alex Jones owes $1.4 billion to these families. I'm going to say only, only bright spot is just this week, 10 years later, declared bankruptcy <laughs> due to the lawsuits resulting from the lies he told. About yeah. Sandy and they are never going to drop that <laughs> yep. ever. They're going to go for every penny that they can because it's so hurtful. And I, I, I'm glad Alex Jones is getting dinged for it. I want every single person who ever called one of those parents and, and said mean things to them. Mm -hmm. I want them all punished. I want names. I want addresses and I want them to pay Yes, because what is wrong in your brain that you're like, oh, look, that appears to be a grieving father on TV. I don't think so. What is wrong I'm going to call him. With people so ready to believe things they want to believe. Mm -hmm. This can't be real. I can't wrap my head around it. Therefore, I'll believe anything, anything uh, other than what the reality in front of me. Movies of yeah, 2012. So, uh, R.I.P. The kids. Of, I, I just I feel bad. Newtown, Connecticut. Sandy Hook. Like those words are forever just going to be associated with this horrible tragedy. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. There's nothing to say. Don't don't wear yourself out, Diane. I'm going to need you in a second. Did they ever change the name, or is it still Sandy Hook Elementary School? I hope it's not. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, a, a lot of times, them they well, at least I know, like in. Uh, uh, Columbine, where it's like they reconfigured the rooms so that like the library was not the same library. Sometimes they just bulldoze that shit. Just like mm. we're starting over. We don't. Mm. No kid wants to come to this architectural school. No wants... trauma in the middle of a city. Like it's yeah. just weird to think. Yeah. About. Anywho. Anywho. Oh God. Speaking of depressing. Oh, 20, no. 2012 movies, December 9th through the fifteenth. We got uh, 
Amour with John Louis. I'm not. Looks like they got a new elementary school, and the only remnant of the original school would be its flagpole. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. I guess. Why the flagpole? Yeah. Anyway, you don't want to just like. my kid to go to no no i'm just saying like but why the flagpole (laughs) yeah and you want some sort of thing to mark that it was there but not oh it's marked you know i mean you don't want to build condos over it either that's a little weird Hmm. so like turn it into a park and call it the lack of gun control alex Jones memorial elementary school call it the nra can suck my dick park yes (laughs) amour sorry french people oh god jean-louis trentignon and emmanuel riva It won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. It got a Best Picture nomination, which is rare for a foreign language film. And um, it is the best movie that I will never, ever, ever, ever watch again. <laughs> ever. Mm. It's because it's Michael Haneke who hates you and oh wants you to god. hurt. Oh my god! Oh my god! That that direct he wants you to hurt. Ugh. He wants to punish you yeah. via cinema. He made Funny and Games twice. What an asshole! Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes he did. <laughs> But it's about a, an elderly couple uh, living alone, and uh, she has a stroke, and then he has to care for her. And yeah, it's kind of the, the why it's called Amour is like, yeah, this is an expression of love, and this is what you have to do for people you love. But it's also like, this is the end result of love. All love ends in pain because someone's going to die. Mm. It is so gut wrenching. Yes. I, I didn't watch it, but what I did read about it says it deals with the decay of the human body in a way rarely shown in film. Yes. That's mm. a good way of put. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, incredibly moving. And I mean, I, I started crying like multiple times watching it in a theater. Um, yeah. It's rough. It's really good. I mean, it, it's just, it, it speaks to its quality that it can move you so much, but just the thought of this is what I'm will have to go through for my husband or my parents or my siblings or people I love, or they'll have to do it for me. Yeah. Live long enough and you will definitely see someone's body decay that you care and love about. And it might be you, oh, you know, thank you. that's yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a real tough one. It's like, I do recommend it, but also I really, really don't. Okay. <laughs> like I don't, I can't say that I'm recommending it because people will be like, why did you do that to me? Uh-huh. And I'm like, it's not my fault. It's Michael Annika. He hates you. Okay. Buck up everyone. Buck up. But um, let's move to a movie that's kind of made for me. Exactly. We got Michael Wincott, Kurtwood Smith, Kurtwood bitches leave Smith, um, Tony <laughs> Collette, James Darcy, Michael Stolberg, uh, Jessica Biel, Scarlett Johansson, Helen Mirren, and Anthony Hopkins in Hitchcock. Good evening. Mr. Hitchcock, you're the most famous director in the history of the film. <laughs> Shouldn't you just quit while you're ahead? <laughs> this is Mr. Hitchcock's next film. Are you in or are you out? Why this one, Hitch? Audiences want to be shocked. They want something different. And this is it. Hitchcock, baby. Hitch penis. Okay, Diana, I get that this film was made for you. They went Mm -hmm. to your house and they said, we want to make a film. And you said, make Mm -hmm. this one. Mm -hmm. And then they went and made it. But was it what you, you wanted it, but did you get what you wanted? Mostly. Okay. Because I didn't think there was much film here. I didn't think there was much there there. It was, to me, such 
a nothing burger of a film. It was just like, you're trying to make drama here and I get what you're going for, but none of these dramatic moments are landing on me. None mm -hmm. of these uh, wow scenes are wowing me. It, you're not you're not doing much for me, movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where the mostly comes in is. So this this is the story of the making of Psycho. Yes. And it there's a lot that is interesting because it is Alfred Hitchcock had just made North by Northwest. It's a huge success. And you know he is really popular he's got the alfred hitchcock presents tv show like he's kind of top of the world but he's an older dude he started mm -hmm. in silent film and the idea that he wants to make what is essentially the first slasher that's about something so disgusting honestly michael wincott plays um ed gein <laughs> who this psycho is loosely based on um so like there's some drama there but they don't really get they try to get a little bit into his sort of inner emotions and like, why do you need to up the game so much? Why, why are you trying to shock people so much more? Like, wh what is it that's compelling you to this? Cause he, he was a guy that had a lot of compulsive sort of behaviors. Yes. A lot of them bad that's towards the, women. That's the movie I wanted to see. Well, there is a version of that. It's called the girl and it's mm -hmm. about uh, the making of the birds. Mm which came out, it was on HBO, I think, and it was like a month or two before this, and we missed it. This yeah, is the better, that this one. is the better one. Mm. The, this is okay, better. This is better. Yeah. Because I was thinking about going and watching The Girl because this one disappointed me. I was like, uh, maybe The Girl's better, but you're telling me not to bother? Uh, well, no, I mean, it's also worth watching because it does get into his much worse behavior and, and some of that weird... I mean, the, the, there's more drama there, and in that drama, Hitchcock is absolutely the villain. But, I mean, what I liked about this is uh, Helen Mirren as his wife, Alma Reville, who absolutely was a very important collaborator for him and very talented in her own right, who, as was the style of the time, took a backseat and was just sort of behind the throne giving suggestions instead of getting attention in her own right. I mean, and it gets more of that. My only complaint is Helen Mirren is very good, but she's almost too powerful a force mm. compared to what Alma Revel really is. She was a tiny little thing. <laughs> she was she was a tiny, mousy little thing. And Helen Mirren's like, she could throw a punch. Um, so like that is okay. But like Scarlett Johansson as Janet Lee, like she's fine. And yeah, like as a as a basic explainer of yeah, why why is psycho different? that does an okay job it's okay it's got some good moments especially like the the premiere where he's literally conducting the audience screaming i thought was a really fun sequence it's okay okay and that was basically counter programming for what most industry insiders would say like get the fuck out of the way of whatever mm -hmm. this is oh ken stott james Ooh. nesbitt andy circus christopher lee kate blanchett hugo weaving martin freeman there's your curveball uh, Ian McKellen, Richard Armitage, it's number one at the box office, and then some. The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Can I help you? I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. So, this is The Hobbit. The dwarves are determined to reclaim their homeland. My name is Bilbo Baggins. Can we cook him? I wouldn't risk it, I really wouldn't. Can you promise that I will come back? If you do... You will not be the same. The Hobbit, an unexpected journey. This film is not yet rated. 
So here's, I'm gonna here's something the- that's really, <laughs> I think is interesting. I was trying to get ahead of 302010 a week or two ago. Having to watch The Hobbit simultaneously with, spoiler for 302010, a show that should never have spoilers, uh, <laughs> The Two Towers, which doesn't do The Hobbit an unexpected journey any favors. Mm-mm. No, I, I had a similar thing, spoilers, which we'll talk about soon. Uh, so I was directly comparing this film after having watched Fellowship one day, the very next day, Two Towers, and then the very next day, Return of the King. And then I watched The Hobbit. Dude, and then, and, and then by the way, spoiler for what I'm going to say, and then I watched <laughs> Rankin Pass The Hobbit just to, <laughs> just, to get the, just to get the flavor of this out of my mouth. Because this is like inherently like not bad at all. No, no. There is a awesome film in this trilogy. Note my word, One. film, singular. Yes. Singular. I have seen multiple fan edits of the trilogy. Mm -hmm. The Tolkien cut is the one I'd most recommend that edits down the trilogy into one movie. And that one movie is great. If the fan edits I have seen editing the trilogy into one movie had been what into theaters, I would have been utterly satisfied and I would have been well done, Mr. Jackson. Uh, you, You did another one. Good job. That's all we needed. But that's not what we got. What we got was a trilogy, and we have to observe it as such because there's so much <laughs> bloat here. Yeah. There is just yeah. so much bloat. Okay, The it, Hobbit you... is a small book, and it's yes. for children. Yes, yep. and, and that's – I paused this and put on the Rankin-Bass Hobbit. <laughs> the Hobbit, the entirety of that – first of all, when they said they were making a Hobbit movie, and I think that's how, like we're going to make The Hobbit somehow – I'm like, great, I would like to come home drunk and watch a Hobbit movie from Peter Jackson's universe point of view. A Hobbit movie. I'm still pissed I'm denied that. Like, I don't have a Hobbit movie that I can watch. Get the fan edit. Yeah. the fan edits. I should. should. Uh, Look look for the Tolkien cut. Uh, There's a couple of others you can find that are are pretty interesting. Further to this movie's discredit, (laughs) by the time you can watch the Rankin-Bass version of The Hobbit in its entirety, simultaneously with The Hobbit, The Unexpected Journey, and that movie will end by the time Bilbo and the tr- meets the trolls. There, there's, <laughs> there's still a majority of this movie left, and then two more movies. And I'm juxtaposed with Two Towers, and I know this isn't necessarily fair, because that's a sequel, it hits the ground running, it doesn't have to establish anything, but let's be honest, this doesn't really either. And you spend one hour... In Baggins End, Baggins End, like one hour. Why? Because and yeah, money. Like, okay, so this movie was made by five different studios. Yes, some of those studios got mo- money from the first Hobbit film, but not any sequels. Mm-hmm. So the master studio, the one studio to rule them all, decided that if we make this into three movies, we'll get the all the money from the last two and we don't have to split the money on the last two. It's only the first such a weird, because the only reason Rankin Bass made the Hobbit is because the book was in the public domain in 1977. Somehow. I don't think that's accurate. That happens sometimes if somebody doesn't renew something. Um, It's, it's true. Like if you look at, if you look in the credits, like uh, it's like based on the original Hobbit work, it's even like in like, 
the on-screen credits. They're, they're making a distinction. It's based on the original book. But I believe how this shook out is MGM had obtained the rights, the official rights to The Hobbit, whereas New Line, Jesus, had the rights to Lord of the Rings slash Peter Jackson's version of Lord of the Rings, which still has the Weinsteins involved somehow, <laughs> and Warner Brothers is distributing. So yes, there's a shitload of studios involved. What what I was pissed off, I was mildly miffed when they said they're going to split it into two. The two were supposed to be made by Guillermo del Toro, and I'm still kind of upset we didn't see that version. Oh, I'm going to be the basic bitch and say we needed the del Toro version be- and the Jackson version was a mistake. He worked his ass off trying to get this made. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of counter arguments out there about whether he was fired or quit. I think if you look at the facts, it's pretty clear he was pushed out. Uh, mm-hmm. He had his heart set on this, and I it looked it I, it looked like it's tough to for Del Toro to get stuff off the ground, and he it basically looked like he was going to have to be attached to these projects for six years as as delays went on. MGM was going through bankruptcy, and this mm-hmm. was, film was supposed to be financed and moving forward. Blah blah blah, but. His version was supposed to be two movies, so you'd get The Hobbit, and then I think something that's far more interesting, a second movie that bridges the events of The Hobbit with Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. So all the fans, the Lord of the Rings fan service in these films is fucking bloat. It's it's technically terrible and doesn't do for me what I think they thought it would. Here's the problem. The Hobbit is not a prequel to Lord of the Rings. Right. The Hobbit was written first. Yes. Lord of the Rings is a sequel to The Hobbit and in a completely different genre. Yes. The Hobbit Mm -hmm. is a children's story. Mm -hmm. It is designed, literally so designed, to read one chapter per night to your child before they go to sleep. Yes. And to take that format and cut it up into your typical three-act structure of a Hollywood film would be hard. To cut it up into three movies, each with a three-act structure, so make that children's book into a nine-act structure, I don't think that can be done. Yeah. I don't care how good of an adapter you are. I don't think that can be done well. And, 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 and the stuff they... It's so weird. The stuff they do to fill those holes are bringing back the entire cast of Lord of the Rings in moments that should be like celebratory, but for me, it's just like, holy shit, move, go, what are we doing here? I I don't understand, like, okay, you want to break a pretty small book into, yeah, what you said, basically three three acts. Mm -hmm. Why are they all still so long? They're all still over two and a half hours. Like, I could see doing it in in three two-hour movies, and even that's kind of bloated. Like, these these three one-and-a-half-hour movies. Yeah, that, they, that they should do work. lean and mean. And I, but I, I no, I don't want and I don't want to throw too much shade at Peter Jackson because I remember when he Del Toro's out, he announced he's back on board, and he's like, "And guess what, folks? It's going to be three movies." And I was like, "Fuck you, greedy motherfucker!" But you know, <laughs> he, he's he's supporting several studios here after lengthy delays. And let's remember, Peter Jackson is like responsible for like half the GDP of New Zealand. And there's like, there are, there are like thousands of jobs on the line here and it's been held up for a very, very, very long time. And he quite honestly described his process. Like, you know, he didn't have the time to prepare that he did preparing Lord of the Rings. And like, no, there's three and a half years of prep work for Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit 
was much more on the fly. It was. It much was like more, I think um, less than a year for like you're helming this, and this has to start filming in a year. Three movies, and I think as a result, it's it's good CG. It's really good CG. But like, whereas the other one, like, really leaned into the models and like. Well, the, see, that's one big problem with this series is they decided to make two technical decisions. We're going to film. 48 frames per second. Oh my God. And we're going to film in 3D. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. The 48 frames per second, they were like, oh, this is going to be the trend of the future. No, no one wanted that. It died a deserved yeah, death. Did, did anyone watch these in 48 frames no. per second? I, I mean, watched I, the second one in the theater in 48 frames a second. They actually put in the paper which ones were <clears throat> the, uh, like, I forget what they called it, enhanced frame rate or something right. like that. Yeah. Your brain can't process it it's like it's really hard like sometimes i'd sort of like lock my eyes in and they would and it would look nice and then all of a sudden someone would move and it would look like an old-timey film where it was sped up like so, people so you, were moving too fast so your your brain never really got over See, it you never got used it to it felt soap opera to me it felt exactly. like i was yeah. watching a soap opera and it was too real when it was 48 frames per second i could see well that's a wig no, wait, that's no, wait. CGI. Yeah. I meant that's to. Yeah, it's like it's like if you have motion smoothing on, and everything yeah, looks like that's a exactly soap what opera. it is. And, and yeah. Diana, was that? Did you see it that way too, Jr? I never saw the high frame rate. Version. I saw it. I deliberately went to the theater uh, to see it, the forty-eight frames per second version, and I was not impressed. Was it? Was it, it also in three D? Because I, I, I yeah, don't like three D. I hate three D. I mean, so uh, I think I didn't do the three D version. I can't remember though, but. Uh, the 3D was another mistake because 3D meant that they couldn't use models. Uh, they couldn't use as many models as they would in the Lord of the Rings. So they used the CGI, which I don't think worked as well. And mm. it also meant the 3D that they couldn't do the forced perspective shots. Mm. So they had to break Ian McClellan. You can find video clips of Ian McClellan in a green screen with Peter Jackson or some director telling him, no, you have to go this way. No, you go that way. And Ian McClellan puts his hands on his head and mm. goes, this isn't why I wanted to be an actor. He is just <laughs> broken by all the green screen in a way he was not by the force perspective. Aww. And, and I, I did want to, I really wish now I would have seen the 48 frame a second version because that is a thing lost, like a piece of lost media. You yep. cannot recreate that. I didn't know this, but like apparently both Blu-ray and 4K Blu-ray lack that technical capability. Uh, Your computer screen monitor can do 60 frames per second. No, no, right? and so can so can 4K Blu-ray, but it can't apparently do 48 frames. So it's either okay. interpolating or and and also there's no real demand for it. I, I don't know. Right. There was never any demand for it in the first place. Even the movie theaters, most movie theaters opted to show the regular 24 frame a second version yeah. rather than the 48 one. Yeah, I understand wow. why he was thinking that this was an interesting idea because we're used to 24 frames a second and the idea that it's like there's actually little bits of black in between each frame and that helps your brain process it. We're used to it that way. And the idea of like we'll get more detail because it's running so much more information at you that like your eyes will pick up things that it'd be so much more immersive. Mm -hmm. And like I said, there's sometimes where it's like I sort of focus my eyes just so and it would work for like five seconds. It'd be like, wow, wait, what? <laughs> well, now everything looks actually blurry because they're moving. And like my brain's not kept 
keeping up just is it because i have bad eyesight i i don't know and because i was trying to watch it with 3d also and that, that might have not helped i wonder if there that wasn't was... really much 3d that was like worth it well I, I, I didn't see why they bothered i i thought I, I figured that was a decision to enhance the 3d because if you've seen like mm. like sports in 3d it's like holy shit this is really cool <laughs> this is really neat yeah. and uh but but movies not so much and i always like i love that it because was po- you can see the wig glue and it was yeah. pointed out to me that like you know 24 frames a second is kind of closer to the way you dream and the way you remember things. And whenever I see a movie in 3D, like I have a difficult time remembering those images because my brain is processing them differently. So, so yeah, I really wish I took the opportunity to see the 48 frame a second version, even though instead of turning my nose up at it, because I didn't realize I'd never have the opportunity again. And, and I officially, feel like I was just un- I feel like I was just unfair to Mexican soap operas. I should have said late seventies <laughs> Mexican soap operas. Dark, it's dark shadows. <laughs> if you ever watched, yeah, dark shadows or I Claudius, anything that was filmed on video mm. in like the early eighties. That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this this trilogy was also a lot less in reality than the Lord of the Rings trilogy, much more on green screen, less on real physical locations. Part of that is uh, Peter Jackson is a decade older and he's not a struggling uh, director with his first huge, great, big break that has his entire future writing. He owns a vibrant effect studio. He can make he technically had the luxury of not storyboarding a lot of this and making it up as he went along, literally. And yeah, having his effects team fix things. But I think you needed to give this to some director who was hungry, who was willing to go out to the wilderness to get his shots. I get why you'd want to shoot on a green screen Mm -hmm. as opposed to reality. Um, Mm -hmm. Slight digression to my brief experience in filmmaking. Uh, We shot Dark Dungeons, the movie, over 12 days of principal photography and one day of pickup. That is nothing compared to the year-long <laughs> shoot of Lord of the Rings. Unbelievable. But at the end of that 12 days, each day getting three to four hours of sleep at best, I was just wiped. And the best shooting experience we ever had was inside a fraternity because we had toilets and we had a <laughs> electricity uh, cafeteria <laughs> and electricity and all these things. And when we shot in our most epic scene in a... Uh, abandoned uh steam generator plant that was the best most exciting shots of the film and it was miserable we were freezing (laughs) we were cold everyone had to hold in their pee so (laughs) i get why you don't want to hold in your pee and why you want to shoot on the green screen but as a film experiencer as a film viewer that doesn't matter to me i'd want the director who's going to be hungry to get this project and peter jackson in 2012 was not hungry the way the peter jackson of a decade ago was no, he wasn't it was willing obligatory. to suffer it was the miserable was, what, what what really it comes down to for me of why i don't care for the hobbit movies all of them is there's so little time with the characters which is funny because there are a whole lot of characters there's this mm-hmm. big pile of dwarves we never really get to know any of them and it's like it's so weird to go back and look at right. people's reviews and they're all pointing out the best scene in this is the golem scene because it's two characters talking yeah mm-hmm. and we understand and it, it's like straight from the book sure but it's like 
we have two characters and we understand them and they're having a personal interaction. And it's like so much of that personal stuff is just like not there. And it's like there's a lot of actors in amongst the dwarves that I like and I they don't get differentiated enough. They don't get to have moments or story arcs or like one of them eventually gets a story arc. I don't care because they're like just this massive dudes. <laughs> Whenever one of them breaks out, it's like, oh, that one. Then I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I think that's I like a, that guy. Wait up. Oh, he's gone back to, into the mass. A huge hang uh, like another like minor hang up in the movie is that like in Lord of the Rings, every character is distinct. You can see someone cosplaying that character and like that's Legolas. That'll never happen with these dwarves. Like no. the 12 dwarves in the written version of The Hobbit are just a mass. They're not really in the, in the cartoon. Characters. They're all voiced by the same guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that can also... work. I can see and, that. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, look, there's, you know there's, what it was? there's three of them stand out. There's the lead one, the cute one, and the one with the bunny ears. I, I love Brett. He saw one on a billboard, and he's like, that's just a man. Like, <laughs> one of them, he has no fake nose. He has no gut. Like, yeah. that's just a man. It's just a yeah, man. Yeah, they, they wanted to sexy up the dwarves so they could tackle in a stupid romance plot in the next two yeah. films, which we'll get to. Yeah. It doesn't work. But you, you know what Lord of the Rings was really missing that would have just really made that film even better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a wizard with bird shit all over himself because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what this film adds to the lord of the rings mythos uh radagast the brown is mentioned in one line and they turn him into this bird shit covered wizard with uh, uh bunnies drawing his sled and he's the jar jar yeah that basically. felt that felt embarrassing uh, like this doesn't need to be here at all, and, and I yeah. think that that I think it's very hard for me to pinpoint what I think is wrong with. I don't hate the CG. I don't think the the action moment. It's all like fine, but it's you know I read the Hobbit. I saw the Hobbit. It is a much more quaint and low key story, and this movie treats it the entire time as in like we are taking a doomsday device to another doomsday device. When like no, that is Which not is- what's happening. It's not what happened, and it diminishes Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's trying to make Bilbo's quest as epic and as important as Frodo's quest, which it was not. It was never that. It was an adventure. It wasn't it was it wasn't a task. A quest. And uh yeah, trying yeah, that's to me watching this like it just fell totally flat in that respect. Try like using the tone of Lord of the Rings to tell the story of the Hobbit is its biggest mistake. Mm-hmm. But there is so much good here. Yeah. Ian yeah. McClellan, no shocker, gives a great Gandalf. Martin uh Freeman. Freeman is a fantastic Bilbo. He was expertly cast. There is good here. It's just crushed under the weight of obligation necessarily obligation to make this three films yeah there are fan edits of the star wars prequel trilogy that mm-hmm. try to make it better and it doesn't really work that well mm. it, it's still not a good series even with the fan edits but that's not true with this series mm. there are fan edits that genuinely make this a good film singular i mean it, it was just too much bloat doing the math if you took the number of pages in The Hobbit wow. to number yeah. of hours of screen time and applied that same formula to Lord of the Rings, you would have a 47-hour trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 utterly ridiculous. And 
I don't know. It, did, it didn't seem like something anybody had a good experience with. No one got the tattoos afterwards. No, no. There was no uh, reward for this film. Lord of the Rings got 30 Academy Award nominations and won 17. The Hobbit trilogy got a grand total of seven nominations, zero for the final film in the trilogy, and they only ever won one Oscar Damn. for a highly technical prize that they don't even give out on Oscar night. <laughs> oh. But it yep. was rewarded well, with, with $2 billion. Just... <laughs> yeah, and I'll just tag around here. Hey, if you like this movie, that's fine. I mean, totally. I understand it's probably because you're just happy to be in this world again. Okay. And that's what I felt like when I saw it for the first time in 2012. I was in love with Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth. I wanted to go back to there. And when I first saw it in the theaters, I was like, that was okay. You know, it was a little long, but it was all right. I would say this is the best of the Hobbit movies because you don't know about the super bloat coming in two and three. If they had just wrapped it up in the next film, you might have thought, okay, that'll be fine. But this is the worst series that I am the most happy it exists. Because mm. this film exists, <laughs> we have Hobbiton in New Zealand. Now, uh, they built the sets for The Hobbit for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but then they just teared them down. But when oh. they were making this film, they went, we're going to have to rebuild these sets. Why don't we build them as a permanent tourist place? And I went to New Zealand, and I walked around the Shire. And it was a glorious... <laughs> experience i had so much fun doing it i had a smile on my face the whole time i ran down the same road bilbo ran down shouting i'm going on an adventure and <laughs> it was so pleasant and i am very grateful this bad series exists because it gave us the good fan edit which is the only thing anyone should ever watch and it gave us hobbiton in new zealand mm. both of which are goodness in the world uh, it is mm -hmm. weirdly. This is streaming on Amazon Prime, even though all the other movies are on HBO Max. But I think there's some deal in place because the Power of the Ring series that they, you know, they wanted to round out the promotion with some classic Lord of the Rings ishness. I can't wait to finish Two Towers. <laughs> it's just oh my god, oh my god. I cannot believe like just just this ill-fated wish. And what I really want to know more about is. My interpretation of what Gilmore del Toro said he wanted to do was like, and I could, this could be wrong, but like make a pretty thorough adaptation of The Hobbit as one movie and then like make this other movie of like appendices and short mm -hmm. stories and like bring all back all the characters from Lord of the Rings you love and see them again interacting with these characters you just met in The Hobbit. Like uh, that sounds really fucking cool. Like an extra, yeah. like just this extra Hobbit movie, but the, would have been better than what we got. Yeah, I that's... mean, the climax of this film is when Bilbo, a tiny Hobbit, tackles a giant orc like he's a linebacker for the New York Jets. <laughs> I mean, there's no tension. The guys in this film are cartoon figures, yeah. and you never feel like they're ever in any real danger because when they're in Goblin Town, it's like this chaotic, busy mess. But you don't fear the uh danger that you did when the hobbits were in the mines yeah. of moria and all that the other real this all the this other characters like you know will survive for the next series of movies so yeah. <laughs> there's very little stakes yeah it's a it was a bad idea um executed well and uh yeah i don't know what else to say about it but we'll have to do so in the next two years anyway so why not just cut it off here
not recommended necessarily. Uh, I'd rather no. I, I would have rather have put my time into getting back to the power of the ring, which lost me to similar bloat. Um, uh, yeah, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. If you like Rings of Power, uh, go go down you. You're welcome to like what you like. I gave it three episodes, uh, which is longer than the theatrical run of Fellowship, and it never engaged me. And I'm sorry, my time is too valuable. Uh, if you don't engage me after three hours, I'm out. Mm. Yeah, it did. Inter- it, it picked up a little bit towards the end, but yeah, I don't know. I was just sort of mad. And an odd way to end. Let's get into television of 2012, December 9th to the 15th. I thought this, there's one thing I saw as as television news, and I thought this is an advent of digital television, but it was 10 years ago today, This uh, 10 years ago this week that, uh, what was it called? Commercial Advertisement Loudness Mitigation Act passed by Congress. It's one of those things you forgot you don't have to deal with anymore. The commercial being three times as loud as the television program it's playing against. That is literally made illegal 10 years ago. So that's why that doesn't happen anymore. A commercial must be relative to, la- to volume to the show it's being broadcast on. It okay. still happens a little. It does. It yeah, does. It still happens, but not as bad as it used Oh, it was. But do you remember how bad it was? It was oh, yeah. so I bad. Would jump. <laughs> so bad during the analog television days. It's one of those things like I just, yeah, I forgot when that stopped. But uh, 10 years ago, it legally had to. Also in television news, <laughs> uh, in response to the death of Larry Hageman, which we talked about last week, the producers of Dallas announced that J.R. Ewing will be killed off in the revival's second season instead of replaced by a different actor. Um, so, yes, once again, we know who killed J.R. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that wasn't his only role. He played uh, the man in I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for an entire generation, uh, J.R. Ewing was such a huge, huge character that that's really what he's remembered for. But I just I don't feel like Dallas left that much of an impact, given how huge it was. I think I think we talked about that primetime soaps tend to not mm-hmm. live that long in the public consciousness. They just... Yeah, they're big while they're on, but mm-hmm. after that, it's like, huh? Yeah, what? I don't know. Which is strange, because every time I like look at the storylines, like, this is no sillier than any comic book, so I don't oh, know. No. I don't know why no one's updating the wiki on Beverly Hills 90210. Um, <laughs> Ten years ago, Help for the Holidays airs on the Hallmark Channel. Uh, so Summer Glau making a appearance Whoa. ten years after the end yeah. of Firefly is a undercover elf who has to help uh, a woman realize the magic of Christmas. She'd be a great elf. Oh my god! Just throw the ears on her. She looks exactly like an elf. Oh my she, goodness. She's very elfish. <laughs> and I don't know where we are with the Hallmark holiday churn at this point. When do they start? Like we're gonna make like one movie a day for the ent- entirety of December. Uh, I think we're there. I think or yeah, we're that's headed a 2012 there. thing. It, it's just complicated because I like I don't the rights on Peacock now. You can like just stream Hallmark movies all day, but Netflix has their own Hallmark model. Anyway, also Christmassy, um, the episode of Glee, Glee actually, which <laughs> I believe I saw that fans were very disappointed. It had nothing to do with Love Actually. No, mm-hmm. it didn't. It, it like didn't take the slightest bit of inspiration from Love Actually. So the name is kind of a a bummer for chooses. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Glee character who's in a wheelchair uh, wishes that he can walk, yes. and then it becomes It's a Wonderful Life, 
where we discovered that the entire world would have gone to hell if he could walk. Which <laughs> I, I don't know, Lee. That's yeah. sit down. Don't <laughs> quit rehab. Don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think this is the only episode of Glee I've watched, and I just don't get the appeal. Um, I asked Glee fans about this if I should watch this episode, and they told me no. <laughs> so they right. told me no. And if I could make a reference to the forgotten Opus Outland Bloom County Christmas special, it should have been called A Wish for Legs That Worked. Anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, lastly, video games of 2012. Uh, Jesus, pick at the bottom of the barrel here. Crimson Shroud on 3DS? And... Uh, yeah, it tries to capture the magic of a tabletop RPG by having figurines on the screen and rolling dice on the screen, but fails in the execution. Mm. And then uh, Middle Manager of Justice for iOS. Uh, this is a double fine game. It's got their signature humor. Uh it's a freemium game, but it can be finished without buying any currency, which I appreciate. Uh, the basic model is you're a middle manager of a superhero team, and you've got a budget, and you've got to spend it on training rooms. It's, <laughs> it's a cute little thing to be like a business sim for a superhero group. Sorry, I was trying to count the Hallmark Christmas movies coming out this year, and I just gave up at 25, and we're early December. <laughs> anyway, that almost wraps up the show. We're going to tell you who died and do a little quiz you can play along with about uh, who was born during this period of 30, 2010. But this is the part where we tell you to thanks for listening to the show. Hey, maybe tell a friend, and also patreon.com slash time. Got a bunch of extra shows for you up uh, this month. Six Star Wars Big old look at the Wii Universe lineup. Uh, no, we, Wii U lineup. Uh, and we got something brand new recording this week. More on the way. Thank you guys so much. Give us five bucks. We'll do our best to give you extra content. We love you for it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Video Game Apocalypse just celebrated our 500th episode. Really fun. And we're heading into our year-end wrap-up saga, which takes a little while. Game of the year, all that. Uh, that's been rough trying to play trying to watch all this fucking holiday horse shit in the midst of <laughs> replaying every game to see how good it actually is because i gotta take this seriously because mr diana goodman michael paras and maddie allen make me um and uh die where can folks find you at they can find me on the twitter at listening nerd l-e-c-i-n-e-n-e-r-d or follow the show at 302010 podcast that's 302010 podcast coming up next week oh boy uh paul red's turning 40 Tom Cruise is kicking some ass. We got Tom Cruise back uh, first time teaming with the guy who's been making all of the Mission Impossible movies with him ever since. We've got uh, a project Martin Scorsese was working on for like 30 years almost finally coming out. Like I said before, I like to think that it is actually taking place at the same time as Lincoln because it kind of is. So what else we got? Oh, we have a Robin Williams trying really hard at something. It's kind of a movie you either really hate or really love. Hmm. Also, Steve Martin is a grifter. And oh, yeah, I forgot to mention Two Towers, bitches. Yep. Yeah. And in television, we have The Feast of Alvis. And mm. we also <laughs> have someone asking, how many lights are there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, yes, with and JR, do you have is it Hanukkah? Because then there are nine lights. <laughs> uh, JR, plug something, uh, be nice to each other. Oh, hey. 
Uh, just plug the Patreon again. No. Uh, but uh, plug the Patreon, <laughs> JR. Okay. Uh, so please subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, $5 or more, $5 or less. Anything is appreciated. On there, you can listen Love to you. 80s in depth, which we've just posted a poll for. You can vote uh, if on what movie from 1983 you most want us to cover you can vote for multiple movies so any of those on the patreon uh please vote please let us know which movies next year you most want 80s in depth to cover oh oh all right no without out of the way we got to figure out who died during this period of 30 2010 die who died Oh, in 1992, that's when we lost Vincent Gardenia. He was 71. He was Mr. Mushnick in Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, he's in Moonstruck. He's in Bang the Drum Slowly. Mm. Great character actor. Oh, we love that guy. 2002, we lost Dee Brown, who was 94. He wrote one of the best books I've ever read that's also super depressing and I never want to read again. Mm. Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which is about Native Americans. What happened to that? <laughs> uh, mm. It's really, really well done. And... um. In 2012, we lost singer. At 2012, we lost singer Jenny Rivera, who's 43. She died in a plane crash. Uh, she was like the queen of Norteño and mariachi music. Mm. And we also lost Ravi Shankar, 92, who Ruby. was the king of the the uh, the raga. Mm. If you heard sitar, that guy probably liked Ravi Shankar. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, with that out of the way, we've got to figure out who's born. In the b -b birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a gimme, gimme. Want to beat Diana? Okay. Right. That's true. You've been doing Turn well lately. <laughs> Turning 97. Whoa. Ooh. As of today, still with us, God bless him. Knocking on wood. Knock on wood. Mm -hmm. His award winning career has spanned seven decades in film, television, and stage. Born December 13th, 1925, in West Plains, Missouri. In his youth, he considered a career in the ministry, but drama class in high school convinced him to become a professional entertainer. Sam Kinnison. No. no. Nope. No. In 1944, he left high school, quit to join the United States Air Force for pilot training during World War II. Denied enlistment several times for being underweight, he was a he was eventually accepted for service as a radio announcer and entertained troops in the continental U.S. He would receive his high school diploma in 2004. <laughs> 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 Ooh. Movies of his we've talked about. They're not many because he's rather elderly, but he did appear in Dick Tracy in 1999. He appeared huh. in Bowling for Columbine ah, as himself no, no, in no. 2002. Uh Fuck. He appeared in... No, he's not alive. No. He appeared right, in Curious George as well as Night at the Museum. Oh. oh shoot. He played the role of Albert J. Peterson. This is going to classic quarter movies in the film version of Bye Bye Birdie. That's not fair. Oh. Um, he played Dick the role of Bert. Yes. Oh. Yes, it is Dick Van Dyke. Oh, I hope Dick so. Van Dyke. Yep. Nice. And he, of course, oh. played Bert in Mary Poppins. Stepping toying. Uh, yes. He uh, attempted a Cockney accented, which was oh. voted the second worst accent in all of film, second to Sean Connery's in The Untouchables. 
According to uh, Dick Van Dyke, his accent coach was Irish, who didn't do an accent any better than I did. And no one attached to the film ever told him how bad it was during production. This oh, is look, Cotton doing an accent in The Untouchables. He's a really oddly Scottish Irish guy. We'll just deal with it. And I, I like Sorry. pointing out I last saw Dick Van Dyke on the screen dancing just a few years ago in the ultra forgotten Mary Poppins Returns, the yep. sequel to Mary Poppins. Not all right. Ninety-seven. Yeah. Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. I think yeah, we should. Time's running out with Dick Van Dyke. I he's very very healthy. Last time I saw him, but it cannot be the case at ninety-seven. Knock on wood, man. Wow. So he was underweight for the war. They wouldn't take him because yeah. he was too underweight. Yeah, too man. much of a beanpole, even then. Wow. Even then. And uh, still. My favorite actor with the most curse words in his name. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I saw a thing the other day. It was a thread of people talking about growing up in purity culture in the evangelical world and how they have like things that would trade swears and turn them into not swears for closed captioning. And like Dick Van Dyke's name kept getting screwed up. (laughs) It turned up into, I'm trying to remember what it wasn't. Penis Van Lesbian. No, it was it was Jerk Van Gay. Jerk <laughs> <laughs> uh, Van Gay. <laughs> Penis uh, Van Lesbian. That is, uh, yeah, from the creators of the Bang Bus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, Jerk Van Gay. <laughs> and, yeah, that is about it for Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Um, oh, Fidget Apocalypse, Laser Time, Bonus Time. Happy Holidays, everyone. Uh, what are we closing out with from the Muppets? Uh, this is my favorite part of the Muppets uh, songs in the Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, Waldorf's uh, Marley and Marley, mm. which I've always enjoyed. Sadler and Waldorf's Marley. Ooh! Uh, wonderful. Glad they shoehorned them in there. Uh, with that... I wish I got heckled by ghosts just forever. <laughs> you do? Not like haunted, just in being like, you suck! Uh, Why yeah. are we even here? I hate you. That was a movie you're also. You're terrible at that. I'm like yeah, making yeah. breakfast. They're like, you're awful at that. Well, th- there's a great line in the Muppets film where uh, they take the line of Dickens, there's more of great than grave in you, which is a real line from the book. And they start heckling him about it. Oh, what a horrible pun. <laughs> <laughs> jokes for the bear. Yeah, it's good, man. Uh, good recommend this week. All right, Muppets, take us out. Uh, we will see you guys next week. We're Marley and Marley. Our hearts were painted black. We should have known our evil deeds would put us both in shackles. Captive bound, we're double iron, exhausted by the weight. As freedom comes from giving laws, so prison comes with hate. We're Marley and Marley. Whoa. We're Marley and Marley.